episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellaris is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today. I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Tai Fu. And I just had a granola bar for breakfast. And that's pretty much it because my alarm volume was all the way down. I woke up just about 25 minutes ago. So not quite at the tip top of my podcasting game at the moment, but, but maybe the you know, tiredness is actually going to help me. We'll see. You never know. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, to give you a little jolt in the morning, we got some fucking fresh off the presses, breaking news coming out of, well, the bubble. I was about to say coming out of Boston, but no, they're all in Toronto. Uh, huge news, actually, for that series. Uh, Tuka Rask just came out just a few minutes ago, 15 minutes ago or so. He has decided to opt out of the bubble. So he's leaving the bubble. Uh, he will no longer be playing for the Boston Bruins this season. And, yeah, in a series that's tied 1-1, the Boston Bruins have just lost their starting goaltender. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first reactions to this. You're, re- you're really getting our initial reactions because this news broke, like, about half an hour ago. Um, there are a lot of reasons to criticize Tuka Rask. Uh, notably among them is uh, wearing a, a Boston police cap during a, a very recent interview. But, but opting out of the return-to-play bubble so soon into this, this first-round series is not one of them. We talked about it. We talked about like guys like Travis Hamanick, Mike Green, who opted out before, the, before they even had to go to the bubble. Um, we're receiving a little bit of criticism from you know the, the schmuck fans who are, who are like, oh, you've got to make his team. That's his real family. Like, shut up. And obviously, with Tuka Rask, it's, it's going to be a lot worse. And the first reason is because he's a Boston Bruin. Uh, so it just it just is it's just sorry sorry but it is and the next reason is because this is this is a household name this is a star player this is their their starting goalie and so now Yaroslav Halak is going to take over um I'm still not going to count them out because I mean it was 10 years ago but we saw Halak you know did quite quite a quite quite a remarkable thing with Montreal in 2010 and I mean if Halak falters uh little known name Daniel Vladar uh, was just like the best goalie in the AHL this season for the Providence Bruins. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sleep on him either. Yeah, and, and another reason I would give for maybe the, the wave of criticism that's to come for Tuca is the timing's kind of strange, isn't it? Uh, I mean, the games have started. He's got the whole round robin. Uh, and now we're a couple games into the playoffs. Uh, he, the announcer comes, what, an hour before game time? That's where we're at right now. They're playing today in, at noon. And so, yeah, the, the timing is a bit of a head-scratcher. And if there's one bit of criticism, it, I, I would give it's that. You know, it's, you know you, he, he didn't really look engaged the whole time. You know, you talk about an interview that he gave a couple days ago, or maybe it was yesterday, where he was like, the atmosphere is not the same. It just doesn't feel like uh, the playoff vibe is there because the fans aren't there. And, you know, he just didn't look too happy to be there uh, or, you know, particularly engaged. So, you know... It's been an interesting uh, couple of uh, weeks for Tukaras, but uh, I mean, this comes out of nowhere, really. And I mean, you can't fault him for wanting to be with his family. Uh, he's got, what, three kids, including a newborn. And so, you know, definitely can't fault him for that. But, you know, if there's one point that I'm, I'm scratching my head at a little bit is really the timing of the whole thing. I don't have a problem with you leaving the bubble. We talked about other players that opted out 
and you know, good for them. But the timing, I will say, is yeah, a bit of a head scratcher because we are in the middle of the series and it's game day, and then he puts out this announcement. That's what kind of puzzles me a bit. Yeah, the well, the timing of the press release is weird about an hour and a half before game time. But maybe Tuka Rask, like the night after game two or the morning after, that's when he like made his decision, told the team, packed his bags, left, and then the press release just happened to come out this morning. So I don't think it was Tuka Rask woke up on the day of game three. Coaches were planning to start him, and he says, you know, I'm leaving. And then they immediately come up with this press release. So that's, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm, where I'm coming from on that. But out of all the star players that could have opted out, I think Tuka Rask, maybe the least surprising option because there's been some some strange stuff going on with him I find for the last while I don't remember exactly when it was but I think sometime after the pause Tukarask said something like um like because he's got one year left on his contract after this one he says he's gonna have to like reevaluate his future something about like maybe considering retirement which kind of took a lot of people off guard because I mean he's 33 right now so I guess he'll be 34 after next season, which is which is pretty young for a player of his caliber to retire, especially when you'd assume he wouldn't have any trouble getting another lucrative contract after this. And also, as you mentioned, the comments he made after their their game two loss to the to the Hurricanes were something like something like, yeah, 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 without the fans, it kind of still feels like an exhibition game atmosphere. Like he's just trying to, you know, get into form, find the get to the top of his game. And I think, unless I'm misremembering, which I don't think I am, the quote was something like, "like the results aren't really the main point of his focus right now," which is a very strange thing to say in the playoffs when, like, you know, results kind of that's where they most matter is in the playoffs. And you understand, obviously, that you don't want to maybe get get too focused on wins and losses as, as a goalie who you know can't can't control much of the offense at all. But that's just a very thing to maybe it was like lost in translation or maybe it was was taken out of context because everyone loves to say taken out of context. But it did kind of seem like maybe his his mind wasn't wasn't entirely focused on the bubble, which is totally understandable, especially now that we see what uh, what decision he's made. Yeah, I mean, the guy's been in the headlines for a little while. And so uh, in that sense, it's not that surprising. But in terms of, you know, this is by far the highest caliber of player we've seen opt out. Right, uh, this guy is a superstar goaltender. He's elite. He has been for many years. He's up for the Vesna this year, which goes to, goes to show how good he was, good, how good he is. And yeah, he wasn't. He hasn't been great so far uh, in the series against Carolina. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, if we're talking about the implications for Boston going forward, uh, I mean, you talk about you know a couple of names that they have, Halak and whoever the hell that third goaltender is. You know, they really just don't compare with Tuka Rask, who is just an elite goaltender in the NHL. He's top three, top five goaltender, easy. And, you know, to lose him like this, uh, I mean, it's it's got to be a shock for them. I, I can't, they can't, I don't think they could have expected this. And, yeah, it's got to hurt. I really, you know, despite Halak, unless he really stands on his head out of 2010, I, I like, the way Carolina's been playing, uh, especially in game two, I, I felt like they really found themselves uh, and the form that they had against the Rangers. I don't really think Boston has a chance. I know we both picked Carolina pretty handily in our prediction last week, but uh, I mean, this further reinforces it because, you know, I mean, even you look at other, another star name, David Pasternak, he's questionable for this game today. And I mean, with, with that kind of stuff going on with Boston, uh, I know they've had, they were, they were they've turned it on. I'll give it to them. 
uh, game one and game two, it's been totally different from the round robin. But I mean, this loss of Tuca, I think, is going to be massive. It's another massive is an understatement, and I think they're totally screwed going forward. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Well, obviously, like I picked the Hurricanes. I still would pick the Hurricanes even more confidently now than I did in our last episode without Tuka Rask. But I feel like I don't know the downgrade from Tuka Rask to Yaroslava Halak. Uh, not only because I mean Halak was was pretty good this year. He was a uh, just checking a nine nineteen this season in about thirty games. Um, I I think that maybe especially also you know with goaltending being voodoo as everyone likes to say that I wouldn't be too concerned that this is like oh the Bruins were you know right neck and neck with Carolina and now it's all ruined that Tuka Rask left I have a hard time buying into that narrative the series is still tied one one it'll be interesting to see if in this game today like Tuka Rask leaving and maybe some sort of rally around Tuka do it for Tuka kind of you know fuels the ammo in a somewhat similar way to how uh, Claude Julien's uh, big, big health scare did with Montreal yesterday. Yeah, oh, I really am interested to see how Boston reacts. Uh, will they fold it out of themselves? I doubt it. I mean, this team has shown themselves to be extremely experienced. And yeah, as I just said, they really turned it on uh, starting from game one against Carolina. But So yeah, I, I want to see how they, how they go. Uh, but, you know, I, I do kind of buy the narrative of, you know, they are pretty evenly matched from what we've seen. I mean, Carolina, it was a tight game in game one. It obviously was. It went to double overtime. And game two, it was tied until Dougie Hamilton scored the goal. And so I thought with Boston's resurgence and Carolina playing as they have, uh, which is totally electric, I thought they were very evenly matched, especially with the fact that, you know, Tuka Rask was in net for the Bruins. And who the hell knows who was in net for Carolina? You know, was it Mrazic? He played game one. Ryder played game two. I mean, none of them were particularly spectacular. They were solid, but not great. Uh, I I really thought it gave Boston an edge in that in that perspective, and I thought that made the series that much more interesting. With this, I mean, where does Boston have the edge, really? I mean, I know David Krejci has really turned it on, uh, but I still think you know Carolina's forward core. It's just the talent is there. It's better on paper, and I mean, I thought you know the quote unquote Bruins experience compensated for a bit, uh, given how they performed. But, you know, and then you look at the defense, Carolina's defense is just exponentially better. And so now without this advantage, with this edge and net for Boston, I, I I, really think it makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, of course it makes a difference. Uh, but I'm excited to see exactly how much of a difference it makes. Wouldn't be surprised to see Boston maybe get a jolt of energy today and, and win game three, which you'll probably know the result of when you're listening to this episode. So I think now we're about 10 minutes in. We should probably slide over to the... Montreal-Philadelphia series, which is, of course, the one that we have the most vested interest in. Uh, Philadelphia won game one, two to one. Montreal absolutely dominated yesterday, 5-0 in game two, as I'm sure you're well aware of. But the the big piece of news happened on the day in between the two games, which I kind of briefly mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, Claude Julien, we saw notification comes up on our phone that he was taken to the hospital with chest pains. The I think it was the night after game one or during the night after game one. And uh, so a very big health scare for him, uh, not COVID related. They did make that clear, which was uh, which was a relief. And but he was taken to the hospital, and now he is back in Montreal. And Kirk Muller has taken over the head coaching duties, at least for the time being. I assume that with Claude Julien back in Montreal, that Kirk Muller is now just the interim guy for the rest of the playoffs, however long that lasts. 
Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it really came out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, sent to the hospital. It's, it's not like he was just looked at. He went under, he underwent uh, a heart procedure. So, you know, that's pretty fucking serious for Claude Julia. And yeah, I mean, geez, uh, talk about some bad timing for the Habs. But, uh, I mean, I, I wish all the best for, all the best for Claude Julia. Uh, hope he heals up properly and then we can see him next season. Uh, but yeah, when you go and undergo a heart procedure, I don't see him coming back no matter how far the Habs make it uh, in the playoffs. I mean, if they make it to the cup final, maybe he comes back. Like, and I, and that's a, that's a really strong maybe. And you'll be looking yeah. at him on the bench like, holy shit, this guy just underwent heart surgery and he's here sitting, standing on the bench just a few short weeks later. Uh, I mean, this is a, and that's just, that's it. That's just that the Habs make it deep in the playoffs. Who knows if they'll even make it past the Flyers. And so, yeah, they've announced that, you know, Kirk Muller, interim coach for at least the rest of the series, I expect for the rest of the year. And uh, I mean, given the results last night, it seemed that Kirk, Mo- Kirk Muller, he did a pretty good job. And and it seemed like the, the players really rallied around him uh, and Claude Julien. Yeah, thankfully, it does look like Claude Julien is going to make a the full recovery by all accounts. I do want to mention, though, uh, Mark Bergevin made a, a little bit of an announcement on Canadians.NHL.com. And I did, I didn't read I didn't read the whole thing, but many people pointed out that I think it was like the last sentence was something in the vein of like, we understand Kirk Muller doesn't speak French, uh, please uh, we ask for your forgiveness uh, due to the extraordinary circumstances. And a lot of you were dunking on Bergevin for like, wow, really? Of all the things you can mention, is that really of utmost importance? Not only should it never really be a determining factor, at least in my opinion, when you're hiring a coach, but also you're in Toronto in the bubble and you're not playing any home games. So it's even less important now than it would normally be. But I, I've maybe put a little bit of blame on Bergevin for trying to, you know, overly pander too much for that kind of thing. But the fact that he felt the need to mention it anyway is uh, is just totally ridiculous. Man, this narrative of Montreal needing a French coach feels like something that should be overblown, but it's not. I mean, people still care about this shit. And, I mean, it's completely mind-blowing. I thought I think we... We mostly don't see the, the you know, we need a French coach side of things because we don't really, you know, hang out on French hockey Twitter. But, I mean, I think they really care. And I think that's fucking ridiculous. I mean, uh, it's just you're resigning yourself to a much smaller, you know, coaching pool or just management pool because, you know, it applies to the general manager as well. And, yeah, you kind of resign yourself to, you know, kind of mediocrity. If you're like, oh, we need French players too. And it's just... This whole narrative, it's been here forever, really, for as long as I can remember, probably long before I was born. And frankly, it's totally embarrassing because the Habs are the only, I understand it's a, it's a French market and whatnot, but the Habs are the only team to put themselves at this disadvantage. And yeah, you hate to see it continue. And that statement, that little one sentence made the rounds because it really did look out of place, didn't it? I mean, yep. yeah, we're, we're, we're so sorry. Uh, that he doesn't speak French, please forgive us. Uh, I mean, it just, it looks pathetic. That's what it is. And uh-huh. yeah, I didn't like it either as much as you did. It's just, it's not a good look. Yeah, I think the main reason maybe why uh, why people love to have a French coach is because of the French press in Quebec and how much harder it would be to, you know, get the scoop or whatever or get a good quote from the head coach, the guy running the team, basically, uh, if he doesn't speak French. 
and that I can kind of understand. But here's my my big problem with that: just hire an interpreter. If you're the Montreal Canadiens, like if an English speaking coach is the best guy available, then hire them and hire an interpreter so that the French press can understand. It's really that simple of a solution. I do want to say though, Dominic Ducharme, assistant coach for the Canadiens, uh, I'm not 100% sure that he can, can speak French, but I'm pretty sure he can. And that's not only because he's as a French sounding name. Uh, thank you, Mark Bridgman, for not uh, putting him in charge. He's never coached an NHL team before, even though he can speak French. And thank you for putting Kirk Muller, even though he only speaks English, because in a, you know, on a moment's notice, it is definitely the better idea to put a guy who has coached an NHL team before. I know sometimes when, when you're doing like a new head coaching search, we say like, oh, not necessarily important to look for experience. But I mean, if you need a new guy to snap your fingers and you have like three options, maybe go with the guy who's actually done it before. Yeah. Uh, so if there's a little bit of backbone that Bergevin showed in this scenario. It's not picking a guy with a French sounding name. And yeah, 100%, we can give him credit. Although, I mean, I think this was the easy decision. Uh, if yeah. you pick fucking Dominic Ducharme over Kirk Muller, uh, we might you might have a, a riot from all the other half sense. Uh, so you know, so that that's the coaching segment. Uh, let's let's talk about the games. All right, uh, game one. I mean, that was I mean that was probably one of the more frustrating games I've seen this season because the the the, the two words I, I that come to mind when I think of game one is just they couldn't finish. Uh, they had a whole bunch of chances. I mean, for, for the second period in particular, they were the better team. Uh, I know the Flyers came out flying, uh, excuse the pun, in the first period. But, you know, the Habs were the better team for stretches of the game. They just, you know, they they, helped, they had control, they had possession for vast stretches, and they just couldn't get the puck on net. They couldn't finish. They, You know, it was just it was so frustrating. And then to cap it off, uh, the whole can't-finish thing with 20-something seconds left, I mean, Nick Suzuki hits the crossbar. Uh, and the Habs lose two to one. I mean, that was, yeah, frustrating is one word to put it. And, you know, it's just, it it didn't sit great with me that game. Yeah, Nick Suzuki uh, hitting the iron there right near the end is definitely the, the thing that really sticks out for me when I think back to game one. The way I look at it, uh, the games that they played really well against Pittsburgh, the games that they won, uh, they played about that well against the Flyers in the first game also. But the thing what the difference is that uh Carter uh sorry, Carter Hart is you know about 10 times better than Matt Murray and I mean the Flyers are better than the Penguins at this point. And so yeah, that good was enough to beat Pittsburgh, but you're going to have to find a totally new gear, a next level if you want to beat the Flyers. And obviously I do want to mention before we move on to game 2, the spectacular game 2, that Carey Price stick save on um on Scott Lawton. Was it Scott Lawton or Kevin Hayes? I don't it was one of those two guys. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. The like slap shot from like five inches in. That's an exaggeration, but he was way too close to do a slap shot. And Carey Price reaches out with the stick, goes off the stick. You had to I had to watch the replay a couple times to even see that it went off the stick and the guy didn't just totally miss the net. Uh, but also, uh, Scott Lawton, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's who it was. Uh, if it's not, then I'm sure you'll correct me. Uh, why are you taking a slap shot from that in close when the net appears to be wide open, except for Nick Suzuki with no face shield standing in front of the net? Like, you could have extremely easily t- taken out five of his teeth or worse with that shot. So Scott Lawton uh, kind of goes on my naughty list a little bit for that one. But anyway, uh, overall... Good performance from game one. Like, I, I wasn't like, oh, man, yeah, they're really getting uh, embarrassed against the Flyers, which is about what I expected uh, for the duration of the series was like game one pretty much encapsulates my expectation for what the style was going to be like. And 
and yeah, I guess that's kind of my overall thoughts on the first game. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, the Habs played, they didn't get run off the ice, and so there was that, uh, and there was a feeling of, okay, we can we can hang in the series, but, you know, I thought the frustration was big, and yeah, you mentioned Carey Price's save on Scott Lawton, I mean, uh, uh, not only did he save a goal, he really did save a life there, uh, I mean, holy shit, uh, Scott Lawton, what are you thinking? I mean, it clearly didn't pay off either, it didn't score the fucking goal, five feet in front yep. of the net, where the half net is empty, and he Karma. takes a slap shot. Uh, totally stupid. Uh, I mean, do you have no regard for, you know, the other professionals on the ice? I mean, it's just stupid. Uh, at that point, you know, uh, just fucking, if you do a nice little wrist shot, you snipe it. I mean, that's what you're paid to do. Uh, you got half the net to yourself. But instead, you know, he whips it at Nick Suzuki. And yeah, as you said, karma right off the stick. Uh, I mean, crazy save if you think about it. Uh, and yeah, it just goes to show Price has been fucking incredible. Just these playoffs. He was good in game one. And let's go to game two. Now that we wrapped up, I mean, you talked about needing to get to another level if they were going to beat the Flyers. Uh, I mean, they fucking did that yesterday. And they just, it was 5 nothing. The score speaks for itself. But, I mean, not even, really. I mean, the Habs were the better team the entire night. And I don't think we've seen that uh, with the Habs this season at all. I don't think we've seen that in a playoff game with the Habs for maybe a decade. Uh, because they were just, they were rolling all four lines. The forwards were just fucking spectacular. Uh, I know Kirk Muller, I don't know if it was Kirk, Kirk was Muller, or if it was Julien who made, you know, small lineup tweaks heading into game two, but they fucking worked because it was speed, speed, speed all night. They were absolutely relentless. And it was the type of game that I expected from Philadelphia, uh, given what I saw from them in the round robin. It's how Philadelphia was playing. Uh, when they, you know, they got on that three-game win streak, they beat all the best teams in the East. That's how they were playing. And the Habs were just emulating that. Uh, they were just, they were everywhere, dogging on the Flyers, who looked kind of flat-footed all night. But it was just, the Habs were just incredible. Yeah, yesterday was a pretty special game. I'm trying to think of any game, playoff or regular season, where they played that well for the entire time. And I can't think of one. Like, a lot of people were saying this might be the best Habs game in, like, at least 10 years. And I was like, oh, there must come on. There must have been. And I was thinking, like, first of all, I can't think of one. And second, like, what could have possibly gone any better? They scored five goals. They dominated possession and pushed the, pay, pushed the play all the way through the entire 60 minutes. They got a shot. They won 5 nothing. Like, what more could you ask for? And it, it's, it's amazing. Like, okay, people are going to talk about, like, oh, you know, uh, Claude Julien, you know, they did do it for Claude. Even Kirk Muller said after the game, I know you're listening, this wins for you, Claude. And like the the team kind of rallying around that. We got to give props to Kirk Muller too, of course, because I mean, he's the one who, he's the coach behind, he's the guy behind the bench now. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if Montreal keeps playing well for the rest of this series to see, you know, teams falling over themselves to hire Kirk Muller. Uh, and I mean, you know, if, you, if you're an assistant coach and you have a job, uh, chance to get a head coaching job somewhere else, pretty good chance to do it. So hopefully this isn't Kirk Muller's last little run with Montreal, but but don't be surprised if it is. Yeah, and what I really appreciate about that game is, you know, something that we don't really even see that often in the NHL is the whole pedal to the metal thing once you have the lead. I mean, once the Habs had a, what, one nothing lead, 2 nothing lead, 3 nothing lead, they didn't stop. And we see that a lot in the NHL where, you know, you take a nice little lead, and then you sit back, you play defensively, and what inevitably happens so often, especially when, you have, when you're when you facing a team like the Flyers that is just so good and so deep, 
uh, you'll get your lead chipped away. And, you know, now it's a two-goal lead, now it's a one-goal lead, and bam, it's a tie game. And you're caught flat-footed because you were playing defensively. And, you know, I really, like, the Habs just didn't stop. They kept coming wave after wave, even when they were winning 2-0, 3-0, I mean, they just, they didn't stop. And, you know, if I think this team is built for that. This is the, I, know I talked about optimization with, with, with the Pittsburgh series. I mean, this is the way, this is real optimization. Uh, and hopefully they can sustain it. That's the big question. Can they sustain this, you know, the speed, speed, speed? I hope they can. I, I mean, it's a, I think it's a sustainable way to play, given how this team is built. Uh, and, you know, now, you know, one, you know, it seemed like a small lineup decision, but I really liked it. It was taking out Dale Weiss. I complained about Dale Weiss all series. He's a fucking black hole. Uh, I mean, sure, he gives you some physicality, but I'll trade that away in a heartbeat for what Jake Evans brings in terms of speed uh, to this lineup. And I thought the fourth line, I know Matt Domi, who was bumped up from the fourth line. I think he played with, uh, wait, who the fuck did he play with? He played with uh, Yeah. I mean, he was great. Best game by far of his playoffs. And and it wasn't just Domi. Uh, Tatar obviously had a couple goals. Gallagher had an assist on one of the Tatar goals. I mean, we're, the, one of the bigger narratives heading into this Philly series was, you know, you looked at who scored with Pittsburgh. It was a lot of the role players. And, you know, the stars were not shining, especially on that first line between Tatar and Gallagher. And with this game, uh, with everybody really rolling, and that included those guys, uh, fucking happy to see it. And, I mean, we'll need those guys to contribute heading forward if the Habs are to continue uh, and win this series and beyond. Yeah, uh, I didn't know we were going to mention Dale Weiss right away, but uh, but now that we have, uh, just, it's just kind of a little bit funny that Claude Julien played Dale Weiss in the five first playoff games of this year, and then as soon as Kirk Muller gets the reins, uh, Dale Weiss is a scratch in favor of Jake Evans. So I would assume that, obviously, coaches and their staffs don't agree on everything all the time, but this seems like Kirk Muller going, all right, yep, uh, too, it's obviously terrible that Claude Julien can't be here, but now that he isn't, and now that I'm in charge, I'm going to take control of my lineup and put Jake Evans in. And I'd have to say that we both agree very strongly with Kirk Muller on this one, and he seems to be correct so far. One of the very special things about yesterday's game was like, okay, when Montreal is playing well, like normal well, sometimes you see like, you know, on the TL, oh, Montreal is playing pretty well. But about 15 minutes into that game, I don't know if it was 2 nothing quite yet or if it was still one nothing at that point. But either way, my TL was like, it wasn't just, wow, look at Montreal being good. It was like, holy shit, this is amazing. This is like the best they've ever played. And and like, you, you know, it's, 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 I feel like maybe if Montreal, you know, gets to Stanley Cup contender status, hopefully within the next few years, and like, you know, you got Suzuki, Kakanyemi, Caulfield, Romanov are like the big guys or whatever, and they're expected to find this this great level of playoff success. And you have a game like that, it isn't as notable. But when you're you know shouldn't even be here in the playoffs, or let alone I mean you shouldn't even be in the play-in round, let alone the actual you know top eight in the East, and then you deliver a performance like that, I feel like it's it's way more special than like if Philadelphia dominates, their fans are like, all right, yeah, there they go, dominating. But that Montreal did it, a uh, mediocre team, as we've been saying for the past several months, also against the top seed in the East. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine what it does for the development. Of, you know, you're talking about youngsters. Uh, players like Kakaniemi, who, I mean, he's been ridiculous, especially when you compare him to how he was earlier in the season. Uh, you know, uncertain, no confidence, sent down to the AHL whatnot. Uh, I mean, you just this, you can't imagine how, how great this is for development uh, of these young players 
everybody on the roster, and that's what that's what that's probably my favorite part of this. You know, it's just first of all, underdog story can't can't hate that. But like, it's just heading into the future. This just gives me so much optimism, especially compared to you know the Dodger franchise. I was in twelfth place. Uh, that was nowhere near the playoffs and selling at the deadline. And then you give me this, uh, where you know your third overall pick. Who you know who, we didn't really know what was going on with him. He's back in full force. And Nick Suzuki, I mean, uh, it's like we're singing his praises every fucking episode. But uh, I mean, I'll keep doing it because uh, he's electric and he's always electric. Electric yesterday. I mean, one chance that you know really stood out to me was puck goes in behind the net behind Carter Hart and he digs it out, brings it in front. He's all alone in front of the net. Yeah, he scooped it out. Uh, you know, he scooped it over the net or where he missed the net, but. Fuck, he just created that chance all on his own. And so, yeah, total playmaker. And it's just, yeah. And you're talking about, you know, this team. You don't really expect this kind of thing. And when it happens, it's just all the more special. Well, absolutely. And I and I have to imagine it just has that much more effect on the players heading into next season uh, and beyond, especially when we're talking about the youth movement. Uh, this has definitely got to help. And yeah, Romanov, Romanov's in the bubble. And so he's watching this team play. Uh, he's watching how they go. Uh, and I hope this has an influence on him, positive effect. And it's just, yeah, we're talking about the years to come, potentially a contender. If they do become that, I, I, I hope and I think that we'll be able to point to this year uh, as a major step forward in becoming that playoff contender if it does end up happening. Yeah, uh, we talked last episode or the episode before, about the lineup changes that were made to Montreal. Uh, for example, putting Nick Suzuki on the top line between Tatar and Gallagher seems to still be working well. The Daniel Lekin and Byron line is still together, but there was a small change, as we did just mention, uh, that was made in this last game, moving Domi up to the left wing on the line with Kakanyemi and Drewen, and we had been calling for Domi to get moved to the lineup for quite a while now because, I mean, fourth-line center isn't exactly making the most of his abilities and thereby by moving Domi up, Yol Armia has moved down to the fourth line. And I think that obviously, you know, you got those, those 10 forwards who belong in the top nine, I guess we'll say one of them's had to play on the fourth line and Armia is probably the appropriate choice. And I mean, looks like it was working pretty well with Evans and Belzeal there on the, on the fourth line. They, they, I mean, that line scored a goal. Armia assisted by uh, Evans and Belzeal. I'm not sure if that was the order of the assists, but those are definitely the two guys who got the assists. And I mean, uh, some people like, you know, still calling for like Ryan Paling or Shadow Udon to get into the lineup over Belzeal. Belzeal was fine. Like, I mean, much better than Dale Weiss, at least, at least I found. Not necessarily the the highest bar to, to climb over, but he's been impressive so far as a kind of a little spark plug. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I see his name. I see whoever the hell is commentating. Uh, Belzeal, Belzeal, Belzeal. Uh, so, yeah, when that fourth line is on, uh, it seems like, you know, this guy has been in the minors his entire career. Uh, first game is in the playoffs when he made that, when he's made his debut against Pittsburgh. And, look, it looks like he's making the most of his opportunity. He's He's got energy. He's not, and, and the big thing with the fourth line is it's not a negative. And, I mean, that's a big plus for a fourth line. And not only that, I mean, you're talking about Armia scoring yesterday with the fourth line on. So, yeah, they're, they're even a net positive. And, you know, we're talking about the strength of the Habs. It's definitely their depth. It's the fact that they have 10 top top nine forwards. And, I mean, I think I think they're utilizing that very well. I think Armia definitely fits on the fourth line. Uh, you know, maybe even a bit overqualified. But, hey, who's complaining? Uh, and, yeah, I thought he brought the level up of the fourth line definitely. I thought, you know... We talked about Dale Weiss again, dropping him, raised the level of the fourth line considerably. Yeah, that was the big one. 
Yeah, and you know when I saw the fourth line yesterday, I mean I was I was impressed. They were forechecking, and that's the kind of thing you want you from your fourth line. You know, a good forechecking line. Uh, they don't spend the entire shift in the in the defensive zone, and that's exactly what they were doing. Forechecking hard. I mean, you saw them win battles all over the place against the Flyers, and yeah, they held their own. And really, what more do you want from your fourth line? Some offensive production uh, and really dominance throughout the game. I mean, I love it. I want to mention, uh, you said uh, Kirk Muller or this this coaching game or whatever this game felt like Montreal, you know, didn't sit back after they had a lead. Anthony Stewart on the uh, on the Sportsnet broadcast said, I think it was this at the second intermission, because he actually played under Kirk Muller for the Carolina Hurricanes for a little while there. So he had some, uh, some very valuable insights that not many people have. He said Kirk Muller, one of the things he emphasized most was that killer instinct. You don't want to sit back like the 95 New Jersey Devils. I mean, even though they did win the Stanley Cup, but I mean, you know, that style isn't necessarily applicable anymore. You want to keep pressing. You want to keep attacking. And one thing that I think encompasses that very well is when Montreal had a power play with just over two minutes left in the game. They were already up 5 nothing, and they put out the top unit, as one does. Like, why wouldn't you put out the top unit? But Alan Vigneault, head coach of the Flyers, after the game, uh, didn't seem to be too pleased with that. He said something in the vein of, oh, we're already embarrassed, you don't have to add to it. And, I mean, here's what I have to say about that. Uh, uh, cry. Uh, sorry. Like, I don't know. Be sad about it. And, like, people, like, maybe he's trying to play mind games, like, trying to get his players motivated. Like, oh, yeah, they tried to embarrass you. Yeah. I don't know if that's really going to work. The way I look at it, that probably fuels Montreal more than it fuels the Flyers. Maybe I'm totally off the mark there. But, I mean, if you're the Canadians and you just absolutely killed the Flyers and then you just you put out your best guys for a power play late in the game and they're sad because you try to embarrass them more, like, isn't that, like, doesn't that just, you know, further help you assert your dominance? Like, wow, the, wow they just lost 5 nothing to us. And what they're upset about is that we put out our top power play unit late in the game. Like, you probably have much bigger problems to be concerned with. Yeah, I mean, this is some real big-time Bush League crybaby bullshit coming from the Philadelphia Flyers here. And it wasn't just Vino. I think it was, I don't remember who it was. It was, like, one of their top players, the Flyers. It was either Giroud or Voracek. And he was like, no comment. And, oh, was and okay, yeah. So like what is this whole team thing? I mean, it's it's frankly, it's 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 pathetic. Uh from the Flyers. I mean, the thing is, if you don't want to be embarrassed by a you know power play coming on up five nothing, well don't embarrass yourself by playing like dog shit the entire game and giving up five goals. That's kinda on you, isn't it? Uh and yeah, I mean this kind of bullshit narrative yeah, happens all the time in hockey, you know, oh, we don't want to run up the score. Well, fuck, especially not, you know, I maybe I understand it. Maybe I understand it if it's game 36 of the regular season. And, you know, whatever. We're all just trying to get on with our season here. But, fuck, this is the playoffs, people. Come on. Grow up a little bit. And, what, you can't take... I, why are they so insulted by this? I'm completely baffled. I mean, Kirk Muller expressed the need for, you know, some some solid reps for the first unit power play, which, you know, hasn't been great. It's been solid, but it hasn't been great. And, yeah, they could totally better for some... For some extra practice of extra ice time, and yeah. I really don't understand what Vigne, where Vigneault is coming from, and maybe he is trying to you know rile up the boys, get some bulletin board material and whatnot. But I, I mean, I don't really see it working. That's the first thing. If the, yeah, I mean, like if there's one thing that's going to motivate your team is the dog shit performance, not the fact that the other team played their power play, uh, their first unit late in the game. I mean, that just makes no sense to me and just the uh the visuals the optics of this whole thing 
uh, frankly, look terrible. And yeah, major crybaby vibes coming from Philadelphia right now. Uh, just one last cherry on top of that excellent game. Seeing that, you know, seeing those statements come out, I was like, man, they are they are in some shit because uh, just Jesus Christ, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I, I couldn't believe how big of a deal they made it. And yeah, that's what surprised me. They just, it seemed like they were actually pissed off by it. And yeah, bit of a head scratcher there. Yeah, the Claude Giroux no comment is a little interesting because what I had kind of read from that was he thought Alan Vigneault was being kind of dumb too. Because if he agreed or wanted to show support, then, I mean, you'd think he would say just, you know, something like, yeah, yeah, we didn't like that or something like that. But the fact that he chose that moment to say no comment is probably like, because if he, if he go, comes out and says like, yeah, I mean, whatever, they just put the first power play unit on the ice. We were, we played badly and they have the right to do that. Then you're kind of, you know, just publicly contradicting your head coach. And like, if, you know, captain and head coach publicly butting heads in the middle of a playoff series, not necessarily a good thing. So I don't think that it's fair to classify Giroud in the same category as, as Vigneault in terms of, you know, being pissed about that. And in fact, I would I would think there's a higher chance that he's probably closer to the you know side of uh, of of reason. Yeah, I mean these are grown men, right? You got to think about it. Uh, you can't possibly think that the whole team buys into the shit. Maybe they do, but I hope not. And yeah, now that you put it that way, I didn't think of it that way. Uh, of the whole no comment being you know maybe a sign against Vino. I thought no comment because he didn't want to make any waves, as the typical hockey player doesn't want to do. Uh, but yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Uh, didn't think that at all. Didn't think of that at all. Uh, yeah, maybe he, uh, maybe he's a little smarter uh, to the optics of the whole thing. And yeah, just Dino, what are you doing? I mean, it's just get your team straight, get your mind straight, because uh, yeah, this uh, pretty fucking bad look. I gotta say. Yeah. Before we move on uh, to the other series, a couple of players I want to mention on Montreal first: Tom Tatar. Finally broke through in this playoffs. He had been pretty bad, especially in game one versus the Flyers. It was probably his, his worst game. Like honestly, maybe within his entire Montreal tenure, he was pretty bad. But he he turned the he turned the tides in game two. He scored a pair of goals, Thomas Tatar. And I love when Thomas Tatar scores. Honestly, maybe like Suzuki Kakanyemi, Tatar might be my third favorite uh, to score goals. Just also, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show. I went to the Habs Flames game on January thirteenth. Uh, which was the day before my birthday, and it just happened to be Tom Sitar bobblehead night. So I got a bobblehead, and now it's it sits it sits on our, our little table in our TV room, and and whenever whenever he scores, uh, my mom bobbles the head. So just a little <laughs> fun thing that we've got going. Uh, was not my idea, but anyway, um, other guy on Montreal, Victor Mete. He pl- he was awesome in game two. A lot of players on Montreal played their best game of the playoffs, but he stood out. Uh, he actually he played on the second power play unit a little bit because Muller decided to put Weber and Petrie on the top unit, which seems to be working pretty well. And so Mate got some time in the second unit, and he got two power play assists. So uh, props to Victor Mete, kind of maybe coming into his own as a little bit of a a, a very, very broke man's Quinn Hughes. Yeah, look at that. I mean, honestly, I could shout out the whole fucking team, player by player. I thought they all played incredible last night. Except maybe Xavier Willett. Uh, you know, Xavier Willett, bit of a question mark there. But uh, yeah, everybody else, uh, I mean, I thought, you know, fuck Carey Price. Why not? I'll shout him out uh, as yeah. my final shout out because, man, we did, remember we did that, uh, the, the Habs bracket that we did with all the players and we ended up with him as our most, the most important player, I think it was in the franchise or the best or whatever the hell. I mean, he just keeps proving that. And yeah, we talked about the clutch factor last time around. 
Uh, he just keeps proving it time and time again. Game one, by, game one was by no means his fault. The team couldn't score a goal. And, well, they, they couldn't score a second goal is what it was. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, tonight, or yesterday, I should say, uh, fucking it was a shutout. I understand the fuck I probably could have won that game as a Habs goaltender, given how good the Habs were. But, uh, uh, I mean, maybe. But, uh, maybe hyperbole. The stretch. Yeah, perhaps. But still, Carey Price was fucking spectacular, as always, in the playoffs. And, yeah, maybe he didn't need to be on his best form, but he was. Yeah, it was 30 saves to get the shutout. Second shutout this playoffs already. Hello. Uh, in six games. I mean, this guy's totally ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, talking about, we keep talking about that narrative. Oh, okay, Price. Uh, you know, the, this is before the play started. Oh, he's going to steal the series and whatnot. Well, it really is manifesting itself here in these playoffs. And I am 100% here for it. And it's just incredible. It feels great to have confidence in your goalie. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. he wasn't that great this season. And, you know, when the shot went in, or, or when, you know, when a shot was shot, you were like, you know, maybe this is going to go in. And you weren't surprised when it went in. Uh, but this time around, you expect the save, and he always delivers. And it's just, it's so fun to watch as a, to watch as a fan. I mean, he's just, he's on top of his game right now. And, yeah. I mean, they, they talked about that that one-timer on Vercek. That's how you know he's on the top of his game. Uh, he slides over on the one-timer, and he made it look fucking easy. And when Carey Price is on top of his game, he makes every save look easy. And that's where he's at right now, and it's so fun to watch. It's awesome. It's awesome. Honestly, the, it's, it's amazing because right now, if you said, like, uh, I could pick any goalie in the NHL to play for Montreal in the series... Uh, I'd stick with Price. I'd stick with Price right now. And during the regular season, uh, I'd probably have uh, a list of uh, multiple goalies who I would have rather had instead of Carey Price. That's not the case at the moment. So that full confidence right now in Carey. And as you say, it does feel great. Um, a couple of players in the Flyers I want to talk about also. Uh, Kevin Hayes, uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, people dunk- dunked on the Flyers for that uh, ridiculous contract they gave him last offseason. It's working out well so far. Uh, we'll see as he, you know, I, yeah, I think he's like 28 now, and it's a seven-year deal, six or seven years. So we'll see how that ages. But for the time being, it doesn't look like a disaster. And I think uh, he was the only Flyers player that was noticeable, that played well in that game two, uh, the game two yesterday. He had a couple scoring chances in the first period. So Kevin Hayes, I mean, looks looks pretty good. Keep an eye out for him. The other guy uh, wasn't so great in game two, but in game one, man, Ivan Provorov, I knew he was good. Wow, like he might win a Norris Trophy pretty soon. He, it was that amazing. Like I was thinking about the 2015 draft where he went seventh overall. If you redraft that now, I might have him going number four. Like McDavid number one, Eichel number two. I'd probably put Aho number three. But like I'd have a ha- really hard time uh, putting Provorov behind any of like Marner, Barzal, Mikko Rantanen, Kyle Connor. Like Provorov might be more valuable than any of those. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about defensemen in the draft. We keep saying how, you know, there's a primer, you know, they're just worth more just based on the position. And Ivan Provorov, I mean, franchise defenseman is what he is. Franchise number one defenseman. Uh, he's a cornerstone of that D and he was spectacular. Obviously, he scored that goal. Uh, and yeah, he's great at both ends of the ice. And we're looking at a budding superstar. We see, we see there, you know, it's a fucking, it's the golden age of young defensemen who are about to become superstars. And he's definitely among them. 
Talk about teams that are kicking themselves in the head for draft decisions. Pavel Zaka goes to New Jersey 6th overall, followed immediately by Provorov and Zach Wierenski, not to mention Timo Meyer and Miko Ranton in 9-10. and 10. That is rough. Uh, yeah. So yeah, shout out to the Devils. And uh, any, anything else you want to touch on before we move on to other series? Uh, you know, I think we can kind of wrap up a nice little bow on Montreal-Philadelphia for now. Oh, there was one more little thing I did want to mention about the series. Shea Weber turned 35 yesterday during Game 2. Carey Price, uh, his 33rd birthday tomorrow. Uh, and that's, uh, of course, the day of Game 3. Uh, so their birthdays line up exactly with the with game days. Meanwhile, um, a couple of Philadelphia Flyers, Carter Hart, his birthday was August 13th, and Jakob Voracek's birthday was August 15th. So the Flyers' key players, a couple of their key players' birthdays are falling on off days. So I'm just wondering. I don't know. Just want to throw it out there. Maybe some sort of strange sign, some equivocation going on. Interpret that however you like. Yeah, we've got some birthday wars going on in uh, the Habs took game one. Uh, and yeah, maybe we've got some birthday luck going for game three. Uh, hopefully, let's go, carry. Maybe a shout-out for your birthday. That'd be fucking amazing. Uh, and yeah, let's go. That's an interesting note. Uh, first of all, really? Shea Weber's 35 already? Jesus Christ. Uh, that was fast. Yep. And uh, okay. All right. Happy birthday to those folks. Uh, and uh, hopefully, they can uh, continue that birthday uh, train going on. Yep. Uh, so... There, of course, have been other series going on. Uh, I guess we're already on Montreal-Philadelphia. We already talked a little bit about Boston-Carolina. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll stick in the East. And we can talk about a series that is out to a 2-0 start. The New York Islanders have a 2-0 series lead on the now Nicholas Backstromless Washington Capitals. And, I mean, we both called the Islanders winning this series uh, I think I said seven. I think you might have said six, if I'm not mistaken. Either way, we both said it would go uh, at least close to the distance. And, I mean, the Islanders are bullying the Caps right now. Uh, Washington, I think, in both games has gotten out to a lead, and the Islanders stormed back, dominated for stretches. Braden Holtby has been really bad in those stretches. Like, uh, right when right when the Capitals need a save. I think yesterday was 3-2 Islanders. Braden Holpe lets in a soft goal, and all hope is lost with like three minutes to go. So, I mean, Braden Holpe's really going to have to step up his game if Washington wants to make this into a series again. And yeah, that, that's pretty much been the, the story so far. Washington was missing Lars Eller for the, for, the, for the first game. He came back just in time for Nicholas Backstrom to go down with an injury. So things looking pretty bleak for the Capitals right now. Looks like Barry Trotz is getting the better of them thus far. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for the Islanders, I don't think they're playing spectacularly well. I think they're playing great, uh, but you know, they're just kind of going and how they keep they play their style, they play their defensive system, and then what's their top forwards that score their goals? And I mean, that's been the story so far all season, really. And it's kind of kept up. And it's their top forwards; they don't really get that kind of depth scoring, except maybe like one Matt Martin goal, which has which has happened this series. But other than that, you know, they they stick with their defensive system. And I think the real story here is the Capitals. I think they're imploding quite a bit. And I think a lot of that blame is to go to Holtby. Uh, I think Samsonov, uh, I was really uncomfortable with the Capitals when we were making our predictions because they lost Samsonov. And Holtby has been atrocious this season. And, you know, I thought maybe he could pull it out, you know, veteran experience and whatnot. But clearly he has not been able to. Uh, yeah, it's not, he's led in multiple atrocious goals. I think there was one in game one where he completely fucking whiffed on the puck. Uh, I mean, you can't have that in the playoffs if you want to win, man. It's just, he should know. He fucking won the Cup a couple years ago. And it's just, 
he's been bad. He's been really bad. And it's that's one name where I'm going to, you know, I want to know where he goes in free agency because the contract is up. And who's going to take him? And with this flat cap, I'm, is somebody going to pay him big money? I, I'm sure I'm sure one team is desperate enough. Uh, but I, I don't really think they're buying into a hot commodity because, you know, the Capitals feel chaotic right now. It's just Ovechkin, he's been really good. He scored a couple of goals. But even him, you know, he missed that empty net yesterday. Uh, and, yeah, it's just I think the story for me is more the Capitals kind of imploding, especially with Holpe, more than the Islanders because the Islanders, they're the same old Islanders. Uh, and, yeah, Barry Trotz's system fucking works. He's getting his revenge on his whole team. And they're definitely the better team right now. Yeah, I think the whole goal you're thinking of is in game one when it was 2 nothing Washington, second period about to end. Don't remember who the player was, but it was a pretty soft shot on net. And Holtby, uh, somewhat reminiscent of Ilya Brzgalov, a la 2012, uh, not a la, circa 2012, uh, kind of just moves out of the way. And instead of blocking the puck with his body, tries to just catch it in his glove, and he misses. It was one of the, the worst goals I've seen this playoffs let in. And you talk about where Holtby's going to go because his contract is up at the end of the season. Uh, that's what This is one of the most interesting UFAs to be watching because obviously a number of teams are going to be desperate for, for goaltending. You know, Ottawa comes to mind, Chicago if Corey Crawford doesn't re-up, but I mean, they might want to look elsewhere if they want to contend next year. Uh, interesting to see if Buffalo is going to make a goaltending, uh, goaltending change because I mean Omar and Hutton isn't really cutting it. Vancouver also because if Yakov Markstrom leaves, then Thatcher Demko really you think he's going to start? But also there are a bunch of great UFA goalies available this summer more so than usual because Holtby is uh, off the top of my head. There are at least two guys who should get more than him: Yakov Markstrom and Robin Leonard. Uh, probably a couple others too. So it'll be interesting to see if one of those desperate teams maybe overpays. Or if Holpe maybe wants to take a one-year deal somewhere, try and bounce back and then get a bigger contract next summer. Maybe if he'll even want to stay with Washington in more of a backup role to Ilya Samsonov next year. Uh, but it, I'm very interested to see more next season for Holpe if he does manage to bounce back and regain his form somewhat. Or if this is kind of a Martin Jones scenario where he had been great for a couple of years and then all of a sudden at the age of like, I don't know, 28, 29, just kind of randomly falls off into the abyss and is never able to return to form. I was just about to say, this is giving me really strong Martin Jones vibes. Uh, and, you know, Holtby, I don't know if we'll get that guy. He's on the wrong side of 30. I certainly wouldn't sign him. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's just this, this cliff kind of came out of nowhere and he's falling off of it. I, I mean, I, man, if I'm Holtby, I don't know if I take that one-year deal, man. I don't know if I bet on myself, especially after the season uh, and these playoffs. I mean, if somebody, if some team gives you, you know, maybe it's at a lower cap, but he gives you the, the long-term security. I'm Braden Holpe at this point in my career. I'm taking it. I'm taking it because, uh, I mean, given his play this year, I don't. I really don't believe it's coming back. I don't. I don't really see any bounce back. Uh, I mean, maybe it's gonna come, but I don't think so. And so, yeah, maybe the team will take a bet on him. But man, I would not want to be that team uh, because he is fucking bad right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, as a 1A, 1B, maybe I would, you know, take a flyer on Holtby. Probably I wouldn't want to sign him for more than a year. Don't care how desperate I am for goaltending. Uh, I'll look other routes. Edmonton's also an interesting option because uh, Mike Smith is a UFA and they have like no one else in the pipeline ready to back up Koskinen. So if you want to try and run like a Koskinen-Holtby, 1-2, might be an intriguing option for the Oilers. Yeah, possibly. But the thing is, you know, 
with Holtby being a starter the entire time, basically until up until this season, I think he's going to try to command starter money. Will he get it? I don't know. But I think, you know, if do you really want to commit that much, even if it's one year, especially with his flat cap, uh, if he's going to be your 1B, if he's going to be your backup, man, I don't even know, if, even for one year, if I want to take that flyer, if it's going to give, you know, if it's a one-year deal, you're going to give him a chunk of money. And I don't know if I want to commit that chunk of money if I'm any team. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, even with the Oilers, I really don't like that fit because, man, he feels like a Mike Smith-level goaltender now. And it's just, I don't like it, man. I don't like it. And, yeah, weird drop-off for Holpe. It came all of a sudden. But, I mean, it's here. It's happened. And I really, I wouldn't take him in any scenario unless he's really fucking cheap and nobody wants him. Then I'll take a flyer. But flyer is the word I want to emphasize on because, you know, you don't spend a chunk of money to take a flyer on somebody. You really don't. And... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't see that happening. I think he's gonna get. He's one team is gonna pay up, and they're gonna regret it years down the road. Maybe even immediately. Yeah. Uh, so there's one more series left in the East that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, this is a series that, of course, involved the fourth longest game in NHL history and the second longest of the modern era, only behind a Pittsburgh Philadelphia game from the year 2000, and is of course the Tampa Bay Lightning Columbus Blue Jackets. Currently tied 1-1 in that series, but the big story was the quintuple overtime game in Game 1, where Jonas Corposalo broke the record for most saves in a game, previously held by Kelly Rudy. Seth Jones broke the record for most time on ice in a game since the NHL has been tracking time on ice, previously held by Sergei Zubov, and Braden Point scored the winning goal uh, over six hours after the first puck drop. And by the way, Dallas and Calgary played their entire game while Tampa Columbus was still in overtime. Uh, so that's uh, that's probably one of my favorite little stats of the day. And the Lightning, they won that game. It was it was 3-2 to two in quintuple overtime. Then the Blue Jackets won game two, 3-1 to one in much less much less classic fashion. You know, you, you say that the, the quintuple overtime game is the big is the bigger game in terms of headlines and news. Uh, I mean, if I'm Tampa Bay, literally, if I'm just a casual observer, neutral observer, I'd be more concerned about game two. I mean, game one, if it was spectacular by all means. I mean, I had a ton of fun watching it. Uh, I mean, like fucking six hours of my day right there. Uh, and I enjoyed every moment, five overtimes. You, I, you never see that. And it was just a ton of fun. And Tampa deserved to win that game and they did end up winning. But what concerns me is with game two is that Columbus just looked the better team and they looked dominant and Tampa looked frustrated. I, I They were good, but they just looked so frustrated. Uh, and, you know, it chosen the score. They only got one goal. And I think Corpus Allo is really the story of the series. Uh, I mean, he's stealing it. Uh, you talk about game one, 85 saves, completely ridiculous. Uh, just, yeah, absurd. I think it most, he broke the record for most saves in the game. Uh, it's just, he was spectacular. Then he's been crazy off playoffs. You look at his numbers. You just fucking you got to look at him twice because you're like, holy shit, this guy. And he just kept, he keeps going. He did it against Toronto and he did it in game two, too. He completely shut them down. Tampa looks frustrated. And that's, they it's just, they can't solve Corpus Allo. And man, I bet they're having some sort of flashback to last year when, you know, they got beat by the Blue Jackets. And this is, you know, I talked about the mental aspect last week when I was talking about making predictions. I mean, th- that game two, really gets me concerned. Maybe they bounce back. Maybe they find a way to solve Corpus Allo. But man, I am... That game too, more than anything, raised a lot of flag, red flags with the Tampa Bay Lightning because, yeah, just they, they look down on themselves 
And that's what happened last year. And that's what led them after they blew that lead in the first game. They couldn't recover. And I want to see, you know, if this team's going to make a deep run, can they recover from this adversity that is really just Jonas Scorposalo on his own? Yeah, I don't think it's fair to say. Like, a lot of people like you are, you know, praising Jonas Scorposalo nonstop. But, I mean, you look at that high save percentage, of course. But has he really made any, like, spectacular series-stealing saves? Like, I don't think so. I think a lot of the Jonas Corbisalo's extremely high numbers, high amount of saves, high save percentage, comes from the style the Columbus Blue Jackets play that forces the Lightning or whoever Columbus's opponent happens to be, whether it's Tampa, Toronto, whatever, uh, to, I mean, either pass the puck to a teammate or take a low-danger shot. So what happens is there are a lot of low danger shots that are relatively easy for Corpusala to make saves on. Like I haven't exactly seen or crunched the numbers on how many high danger, you know, slot scoring chances the Tampa Bay Lightning get, but I think compared to the amount of shots they get overall, it's relatively low. So of course Corpusala has been great, uh, and I was thinking like I think this makes a lot of sense when you see I mean how well, how good Sergei Bobrovsky was for. Uh, most of his stint with the Blue Jackets, all of a sudden he goes to Florida, a much weaker defensive team, and he's absolutely terrible. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, well, maybe I am kind of saying that, like, if Corpusalo was all of a sudden dropped onto the Florida Panthers, that maybe he would perform, maybe not quite as bad as Bobrovsky, but his performance would definitely drop a fair amount. Yeah, you know, I think that's fair. Uh, but, you know, even, so, yeah, the Columbus Blue Jackets, this is their system. Uh, I think, you know, Corpusella, what but the thing is with Corpusella, when he's been asked to make the saves, the high danger saves, the 10-ball saves and whatnot, he's made them. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's not every shot is extremely dangerous, but he does have a highlight reel of spectacular saves uh, against the Maple Leafs, against the Blue Jackets. So you can't really take that away from him. But my question to you, uh, right. And, but my question to you is, you know, you talk about, you know, maybe it's not just Corpusella and, and the Blue Jackets are just really good systematically. Or uh, and the team is just dominant on defense. Well, how concerned are you for Tampa? I mean, whether it's just Corpus Allo or the whole team, uh, Columbus being so good at preventing goals. How uh, concerned? Yeah, not, I, the question's there. Yeah, I'm not near as nearly as as concerned as you are. I mean, like Tampa. I know it did go to an incredible five overtimes, but Tampa was by far the better team in Game One, and it felt like they just got more and more dominant as the overtimes went on, even though everyone was getting extremely tired. And then Columbus, I mean, they were they were the better team in game two. So 1-1 is pretty much about where it should be. I'm not, I'm not you know, if it's a 2-0 series, maybe it's a different conversation. In fact, it definitely is a different conversation. But the fact that the better team won both games, and I think that if I had to place a bet on who's going to be the better team moving forward, I'd probably still go with the Lightning. Uh, I see the series going six or seven games, but I think the, I still hold very firmly in my Tampa Bay prediction, and I'm pretty confident about that one. Yeah, that's fair. I, if you ask me right now, I would pick Tampa, but I think this game three is a bit of a little... Each, as you said, each of them have you know really dominated one game each, and let's see what happens in game three. I really want to see this whole... Maybe I'm playing up this narrative too much of Tampa, you know the whole mental game from, you know, last year and even earlier this season. But I want to see it. I want to see them, you know, overcome that adversity. They were not the better team in game two. I want to see them be the better team in game three and win the thing. Uh, and then at that point, I will be comfortable with, uh, really comfortable with my Stanley Cup pick at that point. Um, before we move on from the Tampa-Columbus series, uh, we need to mention 
the Mike Milbury tweet. All right, we got it. We've oh, got to talk about this. Instantly, here we go. We've dunked on Mike Milbury uh, very recently, and we are going to continue to dunk on Mike Mil- Milbury. This tweet immediately reached Hall of Fame awful tweet status. Not just not just like hockey Twitter tweet, but like all of Twitter tweet. So first, I'm going to read it. Then we're going to dive into it. So first of all, there is a it, this tweet is accompanied by a very blurry picture of the CN Tower at night, uh, you know, glowing in blue, blue, white, and red. And it uh, looks like it was taken from like an underground parking lot, kind of, or semi-underground. So here's the tweet. On another worldly night, Space Needle is an appropriate backdrop. Insane Columbus TB game. God bless both teams for a great effort. Enough, though. I believe we should end these games sooner via 3v3 or shootout after a time. What do you think? Question mark. So, all right. I'll let you talk first. You're laughing. I'll let you talk first. Oh man, guys! So as soon as this came off my timeline, I was just fucking cracked up. It was incredible. All right, so let's let's break it down word by word. We'll start with the picture, as you said. Uh, fucking world's blurriest picture over here. Did he take it on a Nokia? Possibly. I would not be surprised. Is it a flip phone picture? Wouldn't be surprised either. I mean, holy shit, this guy is negative. We'll put him a minus on the photography skills there. All right, I think, let's get I think there's the at least a ninety percent chance he was walking while he took it. He didn't. He was just like he was walking to to I don't know, back to the hotel I guess, and he takes out his phone, doesn't doesn't stop walking, takes a picture, puts his phone back, says I'll tweet that later, and doesn't break stride for a second. <laughs> I, that's a very likely possibility. Or he tried to take a serious picture. And he's just really bad at it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised with <laughs> that either. Anyway, let's do the words. All right. First of all, the fucking, the three words in. And it's already spectacular. On another worldly night. All right. Clearly, oh my God. He clearly meant on an otherworldly night. But yeah, he fucked it up, man. He fucked it up. And it, it looked like he actually thought, like he, it wasn't just a typo. Um, so yeah, that's embarrassing on its own. I mean, uh, fucking on another wow. worldly night makes no sense whatsoever. It's just beautiful. But the best no, no, part no, wait, wait, wait. comes wait, wait, wait. before it, actually it does make sense as the exact opposite of what he meant because otherworldly <laughs> and worldly, we assume that they're opposites, right? Other and you know, not the other. So another worldly night. All that implies is that we've had several worldly nights in a row. And I mean, when you think about it, every night kind of is a worldly night. So he isn't wrong. This is another worldly night. I guess you get, he's right in that sense. But uh, man, I mean, you can't possibly think that's what he was talking oh, about. No, of course, uh, so, of course, that's not what he meant. But he was so wrong that it's now not wrong anymore. <laughs> Technically, he's correct, but man, it's just, it's so wrong. All right, can we, okay, so now that that, that little bit, first four words are already a highlight reel, but, you know, moving on. Quote, Space Needle <laughs> is an appropriate backdrop. This is the CN Tower, buddy. Uh, you're in Toronto, and oh my God, does he not know the name of the building? Completely absurd. Holy shit. Yeah, it's too bad that this this Space Needle CN Tower fuck-up kind of took a lot of the attention away from another worldly night. Because that's the first thing I... 
I didn't even think I was so focused on another worldly night and the bad, you know, takes coming a little bit later on that it took me a second to realize, wait a second, the Space Needle's in Seattle. That's the CN Tower. I didn't even that was like the last thing I, I realized. So there is definitely enough content here to cover like at least three, maybe four awful tweets, but they're just all jam-packed perfectly into one. So Space Needle. Crazy. Yes. Okay. So then the next sentence is Okay, it's probably the, an ordinary, insane Columbus Tampa Bay game. Uh, God bless both teams for a great effort. That's what All gets right. me. God this... bless both teams. Like I don't know, I don't, I don't. <laughs> Just kind of ca- catches me off guard a little bit. Seems a little out of place. God bless both teams. <laughs> you know, this whole every sentence of this tweet seems out of place. But you're right. Uh, kind of out of left field. All right, now now here we go. Enough though. That's a whole wow. sentence. Enough Part though. Of it. I believe T H O. Man, I believe we should end these games sooner via three v three or shoot out after a time. Just a time, a, a time first of all, <laughs> and what an all time bad take. Who the fuck doesn't love these quintuple overtime? Who did that fun? I mean, he was probably the only guy. He was on the broadcast doing it as well. He's like, uh, if you were in the U.S. feed, I think actually that was broadcast in Canada as well. He's yeah. just he I, he was complaining about it. He was like, oh, you know, it's out of bored, man. What the fuck are you paid to do, man? You're a former hockey player. It's what you do all your life. And he seemed bored with double overtime, triple overtime in the works. I mean, it's just <laughs> what a fucking terrible take. Uh, he's probably the only guy in the world who doesn't enjoy multiple overtimes in playoff hockey. I mean, it's one of the – it's a huge part of the identity of the thing. I mean, it goes on forever, and it's a lot of fun, and who knows when it's going to end. Uh, and, I mean – the fact that he even proposed the shootout as an alternative is uh, oh, all-time bad one there, Mike. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm not great at, at recognizing these um these broadcasters' voices when I watch them. Uh, but as soon as I think it was maybe like heading into the third or fourth overtime, obviously it all kind of blends together. Uh, he said he said I think that this continuous five-on-five overtime is just it's ridiculous. You know, we got these five overtime, four over, whatever it was. Uh, we need to find a way to end it sooner. Maybe, you know, reduce the number of players, maybe go to a shootout. And I was like, that's Mike Milbury, isn't it? Like, even though, you know, I'm not, <laughs> such a, I, I knew immediately that it was Mike Milbury. And then obviously I'm so glad that he tweeted about it later. So everyone else saw, saw the terrible, terrible take. I mean, there is, I do have time for like, okay, obviously it's, it's like these players are too tired. Uh, to you know, the, obviously the quality of play diminishes greatly. Maybe as you start to get like little ways into the third overtime, you really that's when you really start to see the nose dive. And uh, at all, you know, Braden Point's goal celebration, fifth overtime, he could you know barely hop off the ground. They're absolutely exhausted. So people, if you want to say, I don't know, after two overtimes, reduce it to four on four. I wouldn't want to go three on three. I definitely not want to do a shootout. Absolutely no way I'm entertaining that. I can kind of I can understand, but I still disagree. Because it's so rare that we see a game go to even three overtimes. It had, four years ago was the last time, let alone five. It had been tw- it had been twenty years, and it'll probably be another twenty years before it happens again. So if you want to make the change of five on five to four on four after the second overtime. I mean, seems like a big solution to a really small problem. So obviously, I disagree greatly with Mike Milbury here. I would even disagree if he said four on four. And last thing on this tweet, at least for me. Uh, you kind of lasted a little bit earlier, amongst other things. Three v three or shootout after a time? What time, Mike? Twelve o'clock? Nine o'clock? Thursday? Two thousand and twenty-four? 
the morning, the evening. Oh man, amazing, amazing masterpiece. Oh my god, this piece, this tweet, this tweet. It's just, it's a work of art, man. It's and the ratio is spectacular too. One point eight likes, two point two k, or one point eight k likes, two point two k retweets, and two point seven k comments. Hello, uh, and 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 you love the what do you think at the very end of the whole thing? They really what do you think? Tap off. And the, people told him what top, they think, yeah? and everyone told <laughs> cherry on top, of, yeah, the top of the Sunday, man. It was just woo, Mike Mowbray, a fucking all time right here. All right, so uh, Western Conference now, I suppose. We're only halfway down the series. We'll probably go through these a little bit quicker considering, you know, they don't have Montreal and Philadelphia. Vegas and Chicago, that one's gone about as we'd expected, I suppose. Vegas is up to a 2-0 series lead there. Uh, they won game one pretty handily, 4-1. to Game two went to overtime, and we talked about this a little bit when Montreal was playing Pittsburgh. When you're the underdog team, like, like Chicago is, and you've got those really tight games, May, like overtime games especially, you've got to win those if you're the underdog because if you let those slip through the cracks, your opportunities to bounce back are very few and far between. So I'd say I know 2 nothing isn't necessarily a death sentence for a lot of teams, but for the Blackhawks against the Golden Knights, I think it's pretty close to that. Yeah, I mean, Vegas is dominant. There's really not much else to say. Uh, Lehner, has, I think he's yet to lose as a Vegas Golden Knight, and so he's been fantastic. And, you know... We'll give a small shout-out to the Chicago youth. Uh, you know, the, just the last game, their goal scorers were Kirby Dak, Dominic Kubelik, and Dylan Strom, or whatever Strom it is that plays on the Hawks. I think it is Dylan. Uh, yep. And, you know, they showed some resolve, and I'll give them credit. But you're absolutely right when you say, when it comes to these kind of underdog series and these underdog storylines, you need to win the games, especially the ones that go to overtime, the one-goal games. And for as much resolve as they showed, they needed to win that game, the game two. They needed to tie the series they wanted to have any sort of chance of even pushing it, you know, to six games or whatnot. And they did it. They couldn't get it done because Vegas is the better team, to be honest. And, I mean, they're showing it. This is no surprise. And, yeah, so Chicago, they had a nice little run. They beat Edmonton. Uh, they had lots of laughs there. But, uh, I mean, I wholeheartedly expect Vegas to take this one pretty handily, four, five, six. Uh, definitely, well, you know, I'm really confident in four or five. Uh, and, yeah, Vegas is the better team here. Not much else to see. I don't think Kirby Doc's getting enough fanfare, to be honest. Like he was the third overall pick last year, so I'm pretty sure he's he's 19 years old now. And I mean, when you compare the way he like he didn't start the season with Chicago, he played a big chunk, if not most of his season, in junior. But I mean, obviously, he's firmly established himself in that in the Chicago lineup now. And I think that he has been better than Jack Hughes or Capo Caco. Uh, this season, and I know both of those players kind of over, uh, sorry, underwhelmed a little bit, but I think Dak's been better than both of them. Uh, interesting to see if that'll that'll hold up heading into next season. But I think that's a player that deserves way more praise to already be this good in the NHL as a teenager. And that's that's a player who was like a lot of people. Some people were a little bit surprised that he went third overall. Like Alex Turcott, Bowen Byram were the names that people a lot of people thought Chicago was looking at. Maybe even Trevor Zegers too. They go with Kirby Doc. Uh, a little bit of a surprise for some people, but so far looks like they've made the right pick. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I mean, he he's a four, right? Play center. Uh, yeah. Just uh, looking, looking, looking good. Uh, and that youth movement—it's scary, man. For come from Chicago, uh, obviously not ready quite yet. Uh, still got some pieces there that are way too old. But uh, I mean, yeah, it looks like they got the core. Uh, it's Kubalik, who you know, obviously Norris not or Calder nominee, and you know, those shows a solid piece. Kirby Doc, as you said, fucking he was drafted last year. He's already uh, 
making a difference for Chicago. And so, you know, we talked about it when they were playing Edmonton. Uh, watch out for this youth movement. That's what's going to take them into the future. Uh, not, you know, bringing back the old gang from the fucking 2010s. Uh, I mean, but it looks like they're set. It looks like they have their core. And, you know, this this kind of reminds me of, you know, maybe Vancouver two years ago. That's the kind of vibe I'm getting. Yeah, that's a pretty good comparison with like Taves and Kane, somewhat equivalent to the Sedins. I guess so. Uh, moving on to Colorado, Arizona. Another series that's going down pretty much as we would have expected. Colorado has a 2-0 series lead. Uh, very interesting. In game one, it was 0-0 down to the third period. Uh, I think pretty late in the third period, if I'm not mistaken. Let me check that out. Uh, yeah, Nassim Kadri broke through for Colorado about 13 minutes into the third period. And then within like uh, less than two minutes later, it was 3-0 Colorado. So uh, that was that for the Coyotes in that game. It was 3-2 Colorado in Game 2. Seems like Colorado's just, as we said, kind of in a different class from the Coyotes, just a step ahead. Even though Darcy Kemper's been great, he hasn't been enough. Yeah, I mean, Darcy Kemper is the only reason that these games are close. Right? The fight, he's the reason it was 0-0 for so long in the first game. And he's the reason they kept, they kept it so tight. It was a one-goal game in the Game 2. Uh, but yeah, as you said, Kai, we, we predicted this going into the series, or at least I think I said it, where, you know... It's just, yeah, Kemper's great and all, but Colorado, the talent there, is just going to overwhelm Arizona, and that's exactly what's happening. And yeah, McKinnon's an absolute beast. And we thought you said you mentioned Kadri's name. He's been, I mean, fantastic. They, the, the, the team has been singing his praises. You know, his teammates have been saying, you know, he's he's that kind of fiery spark plug that they needed. Uh, and I mean, I bet Toronto's that's exactly what Toronto needed uh, this season. And he's. That trade is paying major dividends. And yeah, as you said, just this team's on another level and Arizona really can't catch up. Yeah, a Leafs fan pointed out uh, Phil Kessel won a Stanley Cup in his first season away from the Leafs. Um, Tyler Bozak did the same with St. Louis last year. Now they've got Kadri on the Avalanche and Jake Gardner on the Hurricanes. So a couple of very viable options for, for where that's going to go uh, this year. Maybe neither. But would not be surprised if either one of those teams ended up winning the Stanley Cup this year. A little more salt in the wound for Leafs fans. Oh, yeah. We love that. All yeah. the freaking time. Okay, moving on uh, to the next series in the West. Uh, Vancouver versus St. Louis. Uh, and I think you picked Vancouver last week. It's looking like that was the correct take because game one, they completely ran the St. Louis Blues off the ice, 5-2. Uh, game two was a bit tighter, 4-3. But, man, Brock... Or no, not fucking Brock Besser. Bo Horvat uh, has been absolutely phenomenal. Four goals in two games, and yeah, and they're, they're, they've been beauties. And Vancouver, it looks like their young star, their their young players, they're really shining here. Yeah, I don't think it's fair to say in game one they like ran the Blues off the ice because that was I'm pretty sure that game was two two heading into the third, and Vancouver kind of had a really great third period. So it wasn't like total domination or anything. But of course, Canucks won anyway. Bo Horvat, man, he has been. Excellent. Horvat, Pedersen, Besser, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, the top guy. This is what we said heading into heading into this series. Like Minnesota couldn't contain Vancouver's top guns, and your top guns have to be great, especially for a, a relatively not not such a deep team in the Canucks. Those top guys have to be great to get past the defending Cup champion Blues, and they have continued their dominance. Those like top four or five guys have Tanner Pearson too. He's been very good. Uh, Toffoli's still not in the lineup, but Louis Erickson's been filling in on that uh, Horvat Pearson line. And I mean, the Blues, the Blues top guys. Uh, I mean, it's weird to say because they, I mean, they were first place in the West in the regular season and just won the Stanley Cup. 
they're not as good as the Canucks' top guys. O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Schwartz, Shen, Petrangelo, Pareko. I mean, it's a great core, but the Canucks' core is just on another level. And, I, I mean, the Blues, obviously, last, last game, it went to overtime. Uh, they came super close to ending it before Horvat got the chance to. So this could have easily been a, a tied series right now. But for the for the Blues to beat the Canucks, I mean, good luck finding a way to shut down those those top uh, Canucks guys. But so your top guys have to be better, and your depth has to be better because your third line, your fourth line, your bottom pair is miles ahead of the Canucks bottom pair. You have to start exploiting that disparity between your bottom pair of Vince Dunn and Justin Falk and the Canucks bottom pair of Oscar Oscar Fantenberg and Tyler Myers. Not to mention the Canucks have their third line is like Roussel, Sutter, and um and Jake Vertanen. Meanwhile, your third line, you've got you've got like Robert Thomas, uh Tyler Bozak, and Oscar Sunquist, or some combination of of those players or players who are around that level so uh, st louis's bottom six and bottom pair should be blowing the canucks bottom six and bottom pair out of the water that's where you have to make up for the difference yeah we're talking about exploiting matchups while i mean it's just it's a battle of exploiting matchups here vancouver is obviously very very top heavy and i mean that top heavy has worked they've been great they've scored goals and i mean that's why they're winning the series right now meanwhile yeah you talk about st louis not being able to you know, they, they've, they've got the depth. They've got way better depth than Vancouver. They haven't been able to really capitalize on that. And, I mean, that's the reason why they're down 2 nothing in the series right now. Uh, you talk about, you know, close calls for St. Louis almost winning the game. Did you see that yesterday? Uh, in overtime, Pedersen, yeah. he, like, he did the whole pad stack thing. And, so yeah, not only is he scoring on the offensive zone, but he literally saved the game there uh, with his shin pads. So, you know, good for him. Uh, two-way player. Let's freaking go. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's the Vancouver-St. Louis series. It really, the story is Vancouver's top guns, they're, they're, they came to play, and that's what's carrying them right now. And the last series in the Western Conference is the only one that has had ple- three games played so far. It's Dallas-Calgary. Flames currently lead that series 2-1. to one. I believe we both picked the Flames, so looking pretty good for us. But that game, too, the Dallas' win, 5-4 win. Uh, totally exceeded the expectations for the entertainment level of the series because we were kind of eyeing this one as uh, as the token boring first-round matchup. That game, too, kind of proved everyone otherwise because that was a 4-2 Dallas lead. Calgary stormed back late, tied the game about two and a half minutes left, looking very much like we're heading to the over- overtime. And then I believe it was Miro Haskinen, 40 seconds left, uh, scores to make it 5-4 Dallas. They hold on for the win. I want to shout out Miro Haskinen before I hear your thoughts because I think uh at least from the games i've watched which has honestly been like pretty much every game uh Miro Haskinen has been the best defenseman in these playoffs he is a superstar already he's been leading dallas in time on ice consistently he has definitely uh surpassed john klingberg on that da- that depth chart i think he's got like seven points already in the playoffs something ridiculous like that um and I think he's going to win a Norris Trophy pretty soon. Said a similar thing about Provorov. Uh, so I guess maybe neither one of them will win. But they at least both do very much to be in the conversation. And I think Haskinen more so. He has been uh, top five most impressive players for me in these playoffs. Yeah, young star uh, defenseman. That's uh, it's a really little, big story this year. And yeah, Haskinen's among them. Uh, he's been pretty fucking spectacular for Dallas. But uh, aside from that, uh, you talk about, you know, that one game two proving everybody wrong when it comes to boring series. Uh, I object to that because I think that was more the an exception to the rule. Yeah, I, I I mean, I will admit game two was spectacular. And, you know, we had the comeback and then we had the, the goal shortly before overtime. 
And so, yeah, it was a great game. It was a fun hockey game. But, man, uh, game one was boring. It was 3-2. And, shit, game three was boring, too. It was 2 nothing. And so, yeah, low event hockey is what we were expecting. Uh, game two certainly wasn't that. But games one and three have. And so, you know, I'm still tacking on the uh, the boring label on this series. But still, uh, you know, playoff hockey is playoff hockey. Uh, coming from the Flames, a couple of interesting points I found. I mean, Cam Talbot, uh, we talked, you talked about him last week. Uh, he continues to be solid. He was he was pretty bad in the second game, but you know, obviously he got the shout out yesterday. And yeah, talk about him kind of getting being a surprise starter over Dave Riddick, but he's held his own. And frankly, I thought Cam Talbot was washed up at the beginning of the series when he moved, you know, after his little stint in Edmonton. And uh, yeah, turns out he's a bit of a resurgence this playoffs. And also, you know, Calgary. I mean. I think where they're getting their scoring from is fascinating. I mean, it's their top line of Lindholm, Monaghan, and Gaudreau not really producing. They never, I don't think they've scored a single goal. Maybe they've scored one, but really nothing coming from there. They've been getting goals from up and down the lineup. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just like names like, I don't know, fucking Derek Forbort uh, scored a goal, Dylan Dubay, and so their depth pieces, which is not what I expected out of Calgary. They've not been chipping in and... Scoring the game, scoring the goals for them. Speaking of strange goalie choices, Anton Hudobin started Game One and Game Three for Dallas. Even though uh, Bishop is fully healthy, I thought he should have been nominated for the Vesna. I mean, I'm sure he did get some votes. Uh, Hudobin's been like one of the best backups in the NHL for the past couple of years. But I mean, they start him Game One, they lose. Uh, they start Bishop in Game Two. He doesn't play great, but they win five four, and they go back to Hudobin for game three and he only gives up two goals or, but yeah, only gives them two goals, but they lose anyway. So it's very interesting to see where, where bonus goes after this. Uh, I would be very inclined to go back to Ben Bishop just because I mean, he's, he's Ben Bishop. He's, he's your starting goalie. Like I feel like having this like, you know, goalie back and forth, like on, on the, like a flip of a dime when it's not like a, this, I don't think this is like a Reimer Mrazic situation where it's like, Oh yeah, Mrazic's our guy, but we're confident in playing Reimer on back-to-backs, even though we're in the playoffs. This seems more of like a Rick bonus being like, Oh, I'm not sure who to go with. Not sure who my guy is. So interesting to see how that, uh, how that plays on, on the, uh, for the stars. Also uh, the Bruins, a little bit of news on them. Uh, Bruce Cassidy says Nick Ritchie, Carson Kuhlman, Jeremy Lausanne out of the lineup, Per Lindholm, Jack Stunika, and Connor Clifton coming in. So a little bit of lineup news for that game that's just about to start. Okay. Well, uh, going back to this goalie controversy with Dallas, I mean, I don't know what the hell's going on there. Uh, I really, this, it feels like it came out of nowhere and, and maybe it's a bit of coaching and experience showing from Rick Bonus because, man, Bishop is the better goalie. I mean, full stop. Uh, there's really no question about it here. And seeing Kudobin start two two games already in this series, I know he's been good. He's been good. I'll give him that. He gave up three goals, then he gave up two goals. And yeah, Bishop gave up four in that one game. But man, yeah, I just you I don't understand why you're not going with a proven commodity uh here. Like like he's the Kudobin's the backup. He's clearly the backup. Bishop is the starter here all season. And I don't know why he's starting this goalie controversy. Uh wasn't he injured at some point, Bishop, earlier? Like, earlier in the maybe the round robin? Maybe he's not fully healthy, but, man, it's just... you play. He was healthy enough to play game two. And, yeah, I just... I don't understand here. I don't understand what's going on. It really came out of left field. Uh, kind of, It kind of reminds me of Jerry Murray vibes. Except, you know, Hudobin has really never been the starter. And so that just makes 
this all the more confusing. And yeah, if I'm bonus, I'm going Bishop all the way, but apparently he thinks otherwise. And man, since Hudobin only gave up two, I wouldn't be surprised if he started game four and I, would, I wouldn't like that decision. So that is where all eight playoff series stand at the moment. Uh, when, our, when our next episode ends up coming, uh, at least a couple of these will probably be done. Uh, yeah, maybe, honestly, probably most of them will be done, actually. But before we get to that, of course, next week, we have two more things on the docket for today, which is looks like it's shaping up to be among our longest episodes of all time. Uh, one of those is, of course, Phase 2 of the Draft Lottery, which was now five nights ago, which seems like a lot longer ago than that because, I mean, we have playoff hockey in between. But uh, New York Rangers, of course, winning that winning that number one pick, presumably going to draft Alexi Lafreniere. And as we both mentioned, or at least I mentioned, this was my least favorite option of all the teams that could win. Even when we had the full 16, even before the play-in round started, uh, this was my least favorite team. I would have been happier if the Maple Leafs won because, I mean, at least then we have some chaos on the TL, a lot of fun, and at least then next year when they lose in the first round, it's even more disappointing because they thought Lafreniere was going to help them more than he did. But he goes to the Rangers. He goes to the only team that didn't want to make a statement on Black Lives Matter. We, he goes to the, the team with Tony D'Angelo and Brendan Lemieux, this player that I love so much, especially after you know he was like the most important player for Team Canada, winning the World Juniors this year. And now he goes to the New York Rangers, maybe my least favorite team. It was a very disappointing night for me. And it didn't help that the guy uh, running the lottery accidentally drops in the New York Rangers ball before he was supposed to. So he has to go like pick it up out of the machine and retrieve it so that Gary Bettman can confirm for everyone that it's the New York Rangers logo. Then he can drop it in again. So of course, everyone's talking about oh these conspiracies. Oh, the ball is heavier than all the other balls, which like, I don't know. I'm not exactly all caught up on like the science of how that would make it more likely that the ball comes out unless there's some sort of like magnet inside of it. I'm not saying that it's rigged. I really don't think it's rigged, but the optics are pretty bad for that. And I mean, obviously the fact that the optics are bad on that didn't really improve my mood on the Rangers winning that top pick. Yeah, for the NHL, they really had one job uh, with this lottery, and it's to uh, avoid any sort of conspiracy theory uh, baiting kind of at- events that happened. And then fuck the the Rangers guy, uh, the the what Ernst the Young guy dropping the Rangers ball prematurely uh, certainly doesn't help. Not a fucking good look. But yeah, going back to the Rangers. I mean, man, yeah, we, we've both vocalized our, you know, disdain at the, just the the terrible positions that the Rangers have taken over the past year and really the past long while when it comes to social justice issues and whatnot. And, you know, besides the character of their different multiple players that have questionable views uh, and express them pretty loudly. Uh, and so it's just, yeah, it sucks to see not only that, uh, you're talking about chaos in the timeline. It's just, it's not very exciting to see the Rangers win. It's kind of boring, ho-hum, what the fuck. And uh, it just, it, it sucks. It's not a good lottery outcome, and it's boring. And fuck, I, I forgot about it. Five days earlier, when you told me right before we started taping uh, that we were going to talk about the lottery today, I completely forgot about it, that we hadn't talked about it. It just feels that long ago. And, and it just doesn't really feel that remarkable because the Rangers won, you know, and that's, that sucks. It sucks. And yeah, didn't want to see the Rangers win for sure. Uh, I mean, I'm sh- he plays in a big market. That's cool for him, I guess, but not cool for us because, yeah, not really interested in seeing the guy in the Rangers uniform, to be totally honest. Yeah, this is a team that back in February, 
signed Chris Kreider to a six or seven year contract extension. So, I mean, if they could have, you know, seen in advance that they'd end up with Lafreniere, uh, I'm pretty sure they would not have done that because now Chris Kreider is going to get relegated to the third line left wing unless they like move Panarin to the right side or something, but I don't think they'll they'll do that either. So now you're a team with like Panarin, Lafreniere, Kreider as your one, two, three on the left wing. Meanwhile, at center, you've got Sabanajad, who uh, is going to need a new contract soon, but I assume he'll stay in New York. And then you got Ryan Strom and Philip Hedl as your two and three. Not necessarily extremely impressive. So, I mean, obviously, we, talk, we don't talk about this very often because it hasn't happened since 2003. But of any year where I could perceive of a trading of the first overall pick, this is the year because... Teams, if anyone's going to trade the first overall pick, they don't want to move down very much in the draft. And so, and the LA Kings are a team that, I mean, if you want to say Byfield's the second best player available, I'd probably agree with you. I don't know if the Kings do or not. Maybe they're Team Stutzla. I don't know. But if the Kings, who have a, a loaded center pipeline, you know, we're talking Alex Turcotte, Akil Thomas, Rasmus Kupari, Gabe Velarde, Jared Anderson Dolan, uh, not to mention they still got Anze Kopitar there as their top guy. If they want to, Move up to number one, pick up Lafreniere as, you know, uh, an elite left winger. The Rangers move back to number two. They take Quinton Byfield because, I mean, they've already got those two left wingers locked in for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, now you've got Zabandajad and Byfield as your number two center. And obviously, LA's got a great prospect pool. So you want to throw in, I don't know, what it would take to sweeten the pot, maybe like Kaliev, Tobias Bjornfoot. There are a lot of options there. And I. Not saying it's going to happen, but I mean, if it's going to happen any year, then this might be the year. I love that kind of fantasizing. I mean, I uh, would love to see him go, first of all, not in New York. Second of all, outside of the conference. Uh, and we don't have to play him multiple times a year as a Habs fan. Uh, that'd be nice. And I mean, we lo- we all love a first overall pick trade, don't we? And uh, yeah, so we'll see that's something to keep track of. Definitely. I mean, the way you put it, uh, positionally, these pipelines, they really match up in terms of potentially seeing LA jump up to number one. Uh, and yeah, I guess that wouldn't be the most surprising outcome. And I got to say, I certainly prefer it over uh, the alternative, which is Lafreniere to the Rangers. Yep. Uh, so we are almost an hour and a half in, or about an hour and a half in, and we still have something to do that we haven't done in a while. It's time for our fourth installment of Guess Who? Are you ready to begin? Here we go, here we go. I think this week you sent me a, a snapshot uh, of your spreadsheet. So I do believe you have a spreadsheet ready to go this week uh, to counter the fact that I completely dominated you last time around. I do have a spreadsheet this week. Of course, uh, first guess whoever, Montreal Canadiens, we tied. Then I won the Minnesota Wild matchup. You won the Pittsburgh Penguins matchup. And now, since Montreal is in the midst of a playoff series against the Philadelphia Flyers, it seemed like an obvious choice to go with the Philadelphia Flyers again. Uh, one small difference is in, in our, our past games, we've had 25 players uh, per team. This time, we decided that since these teams have 31 players in the bubble, we'll just go with all the players in the bubble. So for the Flyers, I'm going to read these guys off in, in alphabetical order, because that's how I see them here. Andy Andrioff, Nicholas Abekubel, Justin Braun, Connor Bunneman, Sean Couturier, Brian Elliott, Joel Farabee, Mark Friedman, Morgan Frost, Claude Giroux, Shane Gostasbear, Derek Grant, Robert Hogg, Carter Hart, Kevin Hayes, Travis Konechny, Scott Lawton, Oscar Lindblom, Alex Lyon, Philip Myers, Matt Niskanen, Tyler Pitlick, Ivan Provorov, Michael Raffle, Travis Hanheim, Nate Thompson, Kirill Ustimenko, the fourth, the fourth string goal, James Van Riemsdyk, Jakob Voracek, Andy Walensky, and Igor Zamula. 
Igor Zamula. What a spectacular name! Uh, and okay, let's 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 get at him. Uh, I do. Do you have your your list ready to randomize? Yep, it's all in my random.org. I'm going to hit randomize to get my player. You will do the same thing. And I've got mine. Do you got? Do you have yours? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to mute my incoming audio for five seconds while you tell our audience who your player is, and then you'll do the same for me. I'm muting myself in three, two, one. Okay, we got a stud, Sean Couture. Here we go, two-way center. Okay, I'm back. All right, you ready to mute yourself now? Myself in three, two, one. Muted. My player is Travis Sanheim. Okay, I'm coming back. Okay, we're good All to right. go. So, uh, okay. I think I think maybe since since you won last time, you get to decide if you would like to guess first or second. Seems like a fair way to decide things. All right, I will. Uh, I will defer. I, I I let you go first. Go ahead. All right, I will go first. So I've got a spreadsheet, a bunch of different information about players. I got. Obviously, name, got number, position, shot, birth country, birth date, uh, draft history, salary, cap hit, height, weight, previous teams, and trade history. Uh, so a lot of information here. A lot of stuff I could pick from. Uh, let's start in the first row. I'm going to ask, um, Does your player is your player's number 30 or higher? 30 or higher. Okay, let me just consult my spreadsheet. Uh, this man's number is not 30 or higher. All right, so that would make it 29 or lower. All sounds good to me. Okay, all right. Uh, I will, uh, let me just try to find, which category should I go? Hmm, maybe I should go country uh, of birth. Maybe I'll go by name. Hmm, we're we're thinking here, we're thinking here. All right, is your dude Canadian? My dude is Canadian. All right, love the sound of that. You do, didn't you? Oh, no. All right. Uh, let's see. I've got 16 players left right now, so that is, that's a little bit over half. Uh, I'm going to try to trim it down a fair amount now with a, a classic question we all know and love. Is your player a defenseman? No, he is not a defenseman. Rough, very rough. Yeah. Don't like that. Don't that like to see now. that. Okay, next category. Maybe we'll go by age. Maybe we'll, we'll go by age. Let me just figure out how to do this. All right. So I have 13 players left. So we're looking pretty good. Uh, is your player currently 23 or younger? My player is... Wait, let me just check this out. just want to make sure I get it right. My player is not 23 or younger. All you young folks can get out of here. <laughs> All right. I got six okay. left. Okay. Only got six. Oh, boy. Oh, this is shaping up pretty badly for me already. I don't like this. Uh, okay. Where do I want to go with on this question? I want to... Do I want to play it safe and, like, shave off half? Or do I want to, you know, go for the gusto again? Uh, man, you know, I feel like... I feel like maybe it's not quite time to take an unnecessary risk. So I'm going to ask... Is your player, um, was your player born in Canada? Was my player born in Canada? No, he was not born in Canada. All right. So that shaves off exactly half of my 10. 
So we're, we're looking all right right now. Right. All right. Okay. So I got six and I'm going with draft team this time around. And I don't know which team I want to pick. I could go Philadelphia, but that seems too obvious. You know, we're going spicy. Maybe I want to ask if they were drafted. And this is what it is. Were they drafted by the Ottawa Senators? Uh, my player was not drafted by the Ottawa Senators. Aww. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the only two guys uh, there was like Brian Elliott was. I think Derek Grant was the other one. Correct. Okay. All right. All right. So how many do you have left now? Four. Well, I got five. All right, and I went first. So okay, time to time to take some command here. Let's see what we want to do with this. So, uh, I am going to ask: Was your player? born in the 1980s my player was not born in the 1980s all right so i've got i've got three guys left now okay all right hmm what should we do all right i'm I'm contemplating making a guess uh did you say you have three people left okay so my names are mark friedman scott lawton andy andrioff so we got three scrubs uh including scott lawton uh, and Claude Giroux. So, uh, you know, we got uh, we got some work to do. Who the fuck am I going to pick? Um, you know, maybe I'll just play it safe. You know, playing it safe sounds pretty good. We'll ask, was your player drafted in the third round? My player was not drafted in the third round. Okay. Go ahead. All right. I've got okay. three guys left. I've got Kevin Hayes, Oscar Lindblom, Tyler Pitlick. Uh, I'm going to go with the best of the three players, the guy who I shouted out earlier for being pretty good, uh, unlike the rest of his team, is your player Kevin Hayes. Oh, he's not Kevin Hayes. All right, not Kevin Hayes. Uh, okay, next up. Hmm, okay, so I got Scott Laudner, I got Claude Giroux. Uh, two first-round picks of the Flyers. Uh, we're going to go for the win. Hmm, you know, we did just talk about Scott Lawton, so not getting great vibes out of him. Uh, is your player Claude Giroux? My player is not Claude Giroux. And that's fucking unfortunate, isn't it? All right. All right. So I've got two guys left right now. I've got Oscar Lindblom, Tyler Pitlick, Oscar Strong. Let's go. Is your player Oscar Lindblom? No, it's not Oscar Lindblom. Okay, your turn. I got Scott Lawton. He's the only guy left. Is your player Scott Lawton? Nope. Whoa. Hello. What is your going spreadsheet on? has failed you? Your spreadsheet has and- failed you. Okay. All right. All right. That's rough. Is your player Tyler okay. Pitlick? It's not. Your spreadsheet has failed. Do my oh, come on. Fucking... Oh, what, the... <laughs> what happened there? Wait, 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 hold up. Okay. Wait, wait. Why'd you tell me it was Couturier? We were supposed to keep guessing. Oh, really? Oh, son of a shit. Okay. Well, well I mean, hey. I assume. Well, wait uh, a second. Okay. Wait, so I'm trying to figure out where that went wrong. Where that, where, all right. So what were. All right, so I want to figure out how I accidentally got rid of Couturier also. I asked, um, what was my first question? So, it was like 30 and under, right? Yeah, so he he's Number. under 30. Um, he Not born is, in the USA. He was not born in the USA. Uh, oh, no, no, he wasn't. He, no, sorry, he said Canada. He's not born in Canada. That's what he said. Yes, he right? is. Yeah. No, he's Couturier, not. Wait. What? Wait a second. Sean Couturier. Oh, man. 
He, wow, he is born. Oh, man. Oops. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to take the blame for that one because he has played for Team Canada. He is, his like nationality is Canada. So I just, I kind of, I made the jump there and I put birth country as Canada without actually verifying. So I've, that was 100% on me. Now let's figure out how, how you got rid of Travis Sandheim. Okay. It was Travis Sandheim. All right. That's my guy. So. Okay, wait, let me see where I got rid of him, because I can... Travis Sanheim uh, was part of the... Hmm, I cleansed him. Why did I cleanse him again? Uh, 23 and under. Travis Sanheim is 23 and under. Travis Sanheim is uh, 24 years old. Are you serious right now? Yeah, that's oh, back to check, because I knew he was super close. I che- Yeah, he turned 24 March 29th. He was born March 29th, 96. Oh, so he is 24 years old. System broke. Come on so now. So our spreadsheets did not fail us. We both failed ourselves. Uh, wow. And what we are now... Right. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. So we so we tied that round. Let's try it. Let's try this again. I've changed Couturier's birth country to USA on my, 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 uh, my spreadsheet. I assume that isn't the only mistake on here, but I'm going to, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to give it another chance. And uh, here, let's do another round. Let's randomize anew. Okay. All right. I've, I've, I've made, I corrected my Sanheim mistake as well. So, okay. We've randomized again. Okay. I'm going to mute. I'm going to mute my incoming audio. So you can say your player in three, two, one. Okay. We got big man, Kevin Hayes on campus. Let's go. I am back. And now, all right. Tell me when you're muting yourself. Muting myself in three, two, one. Go ahead. My player is Joel Farabee. All right, coming back. We're good. Okay. We're good. All right, All right. So since you uh, – wait, you uh, had me start the first round, right? So we'll do like a little home away sort of thing. So you start round two. Okay. All right. So after that false start, I got to say, uh, it's back to work. Okay. All right. So how should we do this? Um, maybe we'll go with assist. That's a funky stat. Uh, so let me just figure out what number I want to pick. Hmm. Uh, let me think. You know what? Screw it. We'll go with uh. We'll go with number. Number's a solid first category. Okay. So, is your player player's number twenty five or under? My player's number is not twenty five or under. Okay. Solid stuff. I am going to ask. Ooh, man. Uh, I wish there were a way to sort it a little easier, but I want to ask, is your player, what's your player a first-round pick? Was my player a first-round pick? One thing, I got to look this up. Um, no one said his name out loud. Whoops. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, I do believe, yes, he was drafted in the first round. All right. Very, very good to know. Your turn. That sounds, that sounds like a good thing for you, eh? Uh, okay. All right. Hmm. Okay. So, was your player drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers? My player was indeed drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers. Okay, we're making some solid progress over here. I think that one's maybe a little less help for you because the Flyers have a lot of homegrown players. But we eliminated like seven people. It's it's a solid time. Only seven? Really? Wow. Compare that to Montreal. They have like one and a half players who were drafted by them. <laughs> anyway. 
How many guys do I have left? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. That's a pretty good shave off for me for the first question. Oh, so man. it looks like, looks like yes. I'm in the lead right now. I'm going to be somewhat conservative at this point. Um, let's, let's ask, let's ask. I want to be much more strategic about my questions now than, uh, than I have been. Um, was your player born? Was your player born in? Wait a second. Was your player born May fifteenth or earlier in the year? So from January first ah. to May fifteenth. May fifteenth or earlier? Yeah, between yes. January first and May fifteenth. Yes. Okay. So yes. all right, let's take out this August boy. Let's take out this December boy. Let's take out this May thirtieth boy. Uh, and let's take out, wait, hold up. Oh, oh, come on. Wow. Oh shit. Wow. I thought I was taking out more than that. I misread some of these. Uh, what? Uh, oh, oh boy. Man. I'm very embarrassed. Oh, now. I take three players. Wow. <laughs> oh oh boy. That hurts oh, a lot. Blunder. That's a big error. Okay, he's he came up the lead just now. Oh man. All right. I was going to go aggressive, but man, I think I could take, uh, I could slow down a little bit. Is your player a forward? My player is a forward. Yeah, okay, so that takes out four people. Um, that's pretty good. Wow, how did I miss all those marches? Wow, that hurts. Incredible, incredible. Okay, you know, I'm going to try to redeem myself a little bit here. Was your player born in a month that starts with M? Yes. Okay. Goodbye January, goodbye January, and goodbye February. We've got five guys left now. Left? I got five players left. Five guys left. How about you? Oh, we're tied heading into the. Oh, I've got five as well. We're high tied. Oh, the tied, oh man. Tied, heading into this next round. Okay. I feel like I've blown this All game. Right. I feel like I should have had this round, but I blew it a little bit. Oh, ouch. Okay. Don't like Oof. this. Don't like right. this. Oh man. Okay. Does your player shoot left? Yes, my player does shoot left. Sounds pretty good. How many players do you have? I got three. Okay, you got three. Uh, you guess first this round, right? So yeah. hmm, you're going to be guessing next round. So you got three guys left. I'm going to hopefully whittle this down to two by asking, is your player under six feet tall? Uh, my player is not under six feet tall. <sighs> okay. Uh, so that I'll, I'm just eliminated Connecting and Frost because they're under six feet. And I've got three guys left now. You've also got three guys left. So coming down to the wire once again here. Who do you have? Showdown. I got Morgan Frost. I got Joel Farabee. I got Connor Bunneman. And I'm regretting that I didn't ask if he was drafted in the first round. I was going to do it. But, man, okay. All right. Who do we go? All right. I think I think Joel Farabee's a solid first liner. And I think that's where we're going to go. Who's your guy, Joel Farabee? Yes, my player is Joel Farabee. Oh, what a life. Incredible. All right. For the tie. All right. Who is your guess? I've got James Van Riemsdyk. Who are your players, first of all? Yeah, I've got James Van Riemsdyk, Kevin Hayes, and Travis Sanheim. Um, Let's see. I guessed Hayes last time. That was wrong. I had Sanheim last time, and you missed that. So now I'm going to go with the only player who hasn't been mentioned up until up to this point in our game. Is your player James Van Riemsdyk? No, it is not. And with that, I take the first or the second game in the series. My player was Kevin Hayes. Oh, man. 
Oh man, I missed that by one game. I saved save Kevin Hayes till this time. All right. You're well, so close on the cutoff date too. May fifteenth, and his birthday's May eighth. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, I know, I know. Oh man. I don't know how I missed that up. Why? Like I saw for some reason, like I saw March 29th for Sanheim and it registered as May. I don't know. Because uh, whatever. Whatever. All right, so I've got to win this game so that we can tie this match and keep this keep this deadlock moving forward. That's the best case scenario for me right now. Gonna randomize again. Randomize okay. again. Got my guy. Got it's my funny. Guy. Wait, no, no, not including this one because uh, I haven't seen my guy yet. But we really don't really get any no namers. Like they're all solid players, just in general. Like for guess who. We often get like you know first line players and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, like when we, when we did Minnesota, I was expecting us to get like Brennan Manel or Nico Sturm, but I don't know, we didn't. Pretty funky. Okay, all right. Let's see okay. who I have. Okay, I have a guy. Okay, I'm muting incoming audio in three, two, one. Train continues. We got Shane Gostisbehere. I am back. Okay, and I will be muting in three, two, one. Muted. We got our first no-namer. My player is Mark Friedman. I'm back. Okay. Now. Right. Okay. We're ready to go? Yep. And, uh, and I guess first for this one now. Because you got home advantage in this Flyers round. So here I go. Let's try it out. Let's, sh- let's shake this up a little bit. Uh, does your player's last name start with a letter between A and G? A, B, C, D, E, F, or G? Yes. All right. So now oh. you you would think that would eliminate more, but I've actually only got a I've I've still got fourteen guys based on that, so not tremendous. Okay. All right. I'll go with the names, but I'll go with the first names this time around. Um. Hmm. Okay. How how small how big do I want to make this net? That's my question here. All right. Uh-huh. Does your guy's first name. Start with a letter that is K or later in the alphabet. Yes, my player's name does start with a letter that's K or later in the alphabet. All right. See y'all A to J, folks. Um, Y'all getting deleted. All right. That's not very effective for me, but it's okay. We're moving (laughs) on. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with a tried and true classic question. Is your player a forward? No, he's not a forward. All right. We're doing oh, doing pretty well oh. so far. I'm already down to six. I'm already down to six players. I got eighteen. So we gotta we gotta go for the fences here. We gotta hmm, how are we gonna do this? All right. Does your player shoot right? Uh my player does shoot right. Oh man, that is fucking excellent, I gotta say. All right. Okay. Wait, wait a second, right. wait a second. My apologies. Uh last time. When I said that uh, my first question, the A to G question, brought me down to 14 players, I was actually mistaken. It actually only brought me down to 12, but I was looking at the, the tile number on my spreadsheet instead of, you know, the actual number on my, uh, you know, what they are, because my first players, their name was listed in the third the third row. So I only had 12 players left. And now after my, my forward question, I got eight forwards off. So I'm only down to four players now. I've got Justin Braun, Brian Elliott, Mark Friedman, and Shane Gostisbehere. So, uh, um, and I went first this time. So, wait, how many players do you have left now? After that right shooting question. Six. All right. Six players left only. Okay, so I've Eight still, I've time. still, I've still got the edge right now. Um, I have got 
two players who I have listed as birth country Canada, another two in the U.S. Very tempted to check that again if I want to go that route for my for my question, uh, but I won't. Instead, I'm going to go with another player that another question that splits these players down the middle. Was your player drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers? Uh, let me verify this. He was drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers. All right, so that's bye-bye Justin Braun. Bye-bye Brian Elliott. Only two guys left. Your okay, turn. I will reply to the same question. Was your guy drafted by the Flyers? Yes, my player was also drafted by the Flyers. All right, so that eliminates Matt Niskanen, Tyler Pitlick, and whoever the fuck Philippe Myers is. Never heard of him, but he's, he's on a regular. List. He's a, he's on, oh, been really? on the second pair for the whole time. Yeah, he's Travis Sandheim's oh, regular partner. He's, he's Myers. Okay, because like I was under the impression it was Tyler Myers, and I don't know why that went there, but okay, all right. He's the random Myers that keeps showing up. Yeah, Tyler Myers is on the Canucks. Okay. Kind of an idiot sometimes, but it's okay. All right. All right. It's your turn you to guess. Left. You got two guys left here. Left. Mark yeah. Friedman, Shane Goss, Despair. Uh, if I get it right, Tysa still has a chance to tie. I'm going to guess, is your player Mark Friedman? No, it's not Mark Friedman. Uh, oh, boy. Okay. I got a chance to win it. Ouch, my guys, my guys are Mark Friedman, the one and only. Uh, I got Nicholas Obey-Kubel, and I got Travis Konechny. Um, And I don't know who I want to pick. Who should I pick? Um, you know what? We'll do it. I am going with the best player out of these three. I will guess. Phenomenal season. 24 goals. Travis Konechny. Uh, no, my, pl- my player is not Travis Konechny. You're incorrect. Oh, boy. Yeah, All right. That's depressing. Is your player Shane Gostas Bear? Oh, yes, it is. It is Shane Goss' player. All okay. right. Okay. Okay. So you still you got a chance to tie right now. You got pretty much a 50 50 coin flip. Uh, and I really hope you get it wrong. A real atrocity over here. Um, you know, Mark Friedman, the odds of getting two defensemen, because I got Goss' pair, pretty small. Also, you guessed Mark Friedman earlier. So, like, that's pretty suspect. And if you had Mark Friedman, I don't think you would guess Mark Friedman. So I think, mm, mm, man, I'll, this is it right here for the win or for the tie. I'm going. They're both five foot eleven. First of all, I just gotta shout that out. My spreadsheet mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, number sixty-two, Nicholas Obekubel for the win. My player is Mark Friedman. No! <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm not kidding what you at all. I thought maybe we would have a uh, like um you know one of those both have the same player situation like we had with Yoel Armia our very first time, and I I because I I usually you know I have that tendency to go with you know to never pick the the same guy like you know multiple times and I like I feel like that's gonna bite me in the ass again so I I picked I guessed Friedman it was wrong so in that sense I guess it kind of did bite me in the ass but ended up not because it worked out because I accidentally played a couple some mind games on you and you didn't want to pick Friedman yourself so uh so wow, we tied the Philadelphia Flyers round we are now each one one and two to this point in our in our guess who games this this guy really just psyched me out uh I can't by accident it. um Mark Friedman. Man, I was so tempted to go with the defenseman question. But you know what? You played another mind game with me, hitting me with the defense question, or the forward question, I should say. And I was like, man, if he's so bold as to ask that and bring that to mind, he probably has a forward and wouldn't mind me asking it back. And so, you know, what? Didn't even cross my mind. Right there. Oh, man. That's, that's, I was thinking, like, I was galaxy brain the whole thing. I was like, man, I want to ask if he's a forward. But... But like I would, I don't want to draw attention to myself either because my guy's a defenseman, and so, man, 
that is okay. That's a fascinating game. Of guess who? Right. This the war the spreadsheets ends up in a in a stalemate. We'll save it for the next time. Uh, who will take the lead then? I think it's fair to say this is our. I'm pretty sure this is our longest episode ever. We are approaching two hours, so we will call it here. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week. Of course, plenty more playoff results will be in by then. You can follow us at Fusion and Hockey Podcast on Instagram. You can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can follow each of us on Twitter. Our handles are in the description. Thank you very much for listening. Continue to listen. Uh, we, we've got a, a couple DMs recently on our Instagram. Always fun getting those. So if you have something important to say, don't be shy. And uh, take care. We'll see you next week. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.